Welcome back to Bar Down Talking Hockey, episode number 83, presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi, and I'm here to tell you that it is New Jersey Devils time. And this right here, this is Frankie Mueller, and he's got Roger Goodell up his ass. Frank, how you doing? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good, yeah. Roger Goodell is far up my ass, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. At, we're past Halloween. We're looking ahead towards thanksgiving and i'm excited because i think thanksgiving is a very underrated holiday thanksgiving is number two on my holiday mount rushmore i like it more than my birthday i like it more than halloween i like it more than every other birthday i like it so much it is my mm-hmm. second favorite day of the year frank it's devil's time baby are you ready for the devils it is their time you see you get it it's a clock it's a devil's clock it's not working yeah, it's broken. And no, it's not broken. Put some batteries in it. No, see, I took the batteries out because the clock is sick. I mean, there's no denying that this is the sickest clock you've ever seen. And it ticks really loud, though. You can't sleep with it on. Damn. I remember man. at my old house in Bartlett, I had it on for one night. And halfway through the night, I wanted to take the clock and throw it out of the room and start rooting for the Flyers. It'd be Dude, cool if, it, like, if the clock struck struck noon or midnight the devil's horn went off hey, or like yeah or like, I would like that yeah i mean i think that'd be good or like every hour but then it get kind of repetitive yeah I'd get, I, I would want the devils to not score at home anymore after that <laughs> well, um, it's like, like a church bell like every hour if it's like one o'clock it does one dong two o'clock two dongs yeah and it, i remember wait that's really the reason Mm-hmm. Every hour, like what hour it is? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't never knew so that. Like I knew, five o'clock, five devil's hour. horns go off. It's like, eh, yeah, eh. yeah. I know, you know, uh, Ric Flair. Woo. Yeah. When the Devils score at home after they announce the goal, they'll be like, "The Devils' goal scored by number eighty-six, Jack Hughes," and then they'll play the music. And after they announce who assisted it and whatever. They will flip. They'll do a, the same number of woos for however many goals that is. Mm-hmm. So if it's their fifth goal of the night, it'll go woo five times. I think so that's damn. So the other night they did it a lot. The other night they did it a shit ton. The other day against mm-hmm. the Columbus Blue Jackets, the day game against the, uh, yeah, I said the day game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. But I set this clock to four twenty. <laughs> It's at 420, and it's been at 420 ever since I got it to stop. The reason I did that is because, well, obviously, 420, weed holiday, all the stoners out there know that. But the real reason I did it is because if you watch the movie Pulp Fiction, every clock in that movie is at 420, and I think that's hilarious. That is hilarious. That's kind of why I did that. It's also Hitler's birthday, but we don't talk about that guy. (laughs) I did not know that. 
it, it's an interesting fact about 420. It's like it's also the most evil man in the history of the world's birthday. But that's not here nor there. Frank, we got hockey to talk about. Ah, do we really? Uh, it's more fun for some <laughs> of us than others. <laughs> so let's get into it in period number one. Listen, I don't want to hear it from you in this period, number one, mother effer. First of all, you have Roger Goodell so far up your ass. You better just be nice to every single person you come across. Second of all, your team, the Chicago Blackhawks, has won the Stanley Cup three times since the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 2010. Okay? I don't want to hear it from you. And in the years that they didn't win the Stanley Cup, 2011, okay, they lost a heartbreaker game seven to the Vancouver Canucks in the first round. Okay, 2012, they lost a heartbreaker in game six to the Arizona Coyotes in, I guess it was still the Phoenix Coyotes at that time, in round number one. Then in 13, they won the cup again. Then in 14, they made it to game seven overtime against the Los Angeles Kings in the conference finals. They would have went on and smoked the Rangers in the Stanley Cup final. 2015, they won it again. 2016, what happened in, oh, 2016, they lost to the Blues in an epic game seven of the first round. Remember, you might remember Brent Seabrook at the double post after Troy Brower gave the Blues the lead late. That was a heartbreaker, but they still made the playoffs and took the Blues to the game seven of the first round. Then in 2017, this team wins the Western Conference in the regular season. They have the most points in the NHL. It was the funnest team in the Western Conference to be a fan of at that particular moment in time until they were swept by Nashville in the first round, and it has been downhill ever since. But for those six to seven to eight years, you were the luckiest fan in the sport, and I take no shame in the fact that out of us two right now, one of our teams is doing a little bit better. But I think... For the Devils, they still have a lot to prove. They're, they're, they still have a long way to go before anybody thinks of them as a playoff team. You know, th- there's a long way to go. And I need to see a lot more than a 7-3-0 stretch to begin the season in order to get it going. But we will get to them in a little bit. I do think it's funny that you're saying, do we really have to talk about hockey? And I'm over here like, let's talk about <laughs> hockey. Because the roles are reversed for the first time in a long time. It's a glorious let's thing. Let's talk about ping pong. Ping pong. <laughs> Well, ping pong is very fun. It's very wild. It's very fast. You know who else is very fun, very wild, very fast? The Western Conference champion runners-up from a year ago, the Edmonton Oilers. Dude, I'm watching this team yesterday. They're on my computer. I got the Devils on the big screen. I put the Oilers. uh, uh, Penguins-Bruins was on my computer. And then when the Penguins-Bruins was over, we'll get to that in a minute. I threw on Oilers versus Nashville before finishing out with the Hawks and then flipping to Anaheim. But... I watched a lot of hockey last night, but they are just so good. I mean, McDavid and Dreisaitl are better than even we thought, I think. McDavid has 11 goals in 10 games. He's looking for 50 and 50. I mean, why not go score 60, Connor? Start shooting the puck. We talked about that during the preseason. He could decide to lead the league in goals if he wants to. He normally doesn't want to. He normally is more of a dish man. He's doing both right now. He's the league's leading scorer. He's got 22 points in 11 games. I mean, he literally has got two points per game average right now. If he went on to have a 130-point season, I would be 0% surprised. I don't know about 160, you know, like like Lemieux and Gretzky used to have, like, two points per game. The NHL doesn't work like that anymore. It's not an indictment on McDavid. If he played in the 80s, it would be the same thing. But this Leon Dreisaitl's doing the same shit. 
he, he scores every game, it seems like. He has three assists every game, it seems like. He's the NHL's number two leading scorer. So I ask you, Frankie Mueller, the Edmonton Oilers, are Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl better than we thought as they now really truly enter their true prime? And the Oilers, I think just having them on their own can help them go deep in the playoffs. Well, we always talk about, or I always talk about how you just can't have these two players lead you to the cup. It's just not going to happen long-term. It may look like that right now. I wouldn't necessarily say they're better than we thought they were because we're used to McDavid and Dreisaitl being at about around two points per game at this stage of the season. Um, I actually thought the goals would be flipped. Dreisaitl's only got five goals. I thought he would have been more of the goal scorer and McDavid would have been more of the point man. But like we said early on, he was a sleeper to potentially get 50 goals. Um and he's proven that right now. He's well on pace to do so. The Oilers are playing well. They're seven and three. We'll see what happens. I don't expect them to slow down at any point this year. What worries me is when you look at these two over the long haul and then come playoff time, right? And these two players should win a Stanley Cup in their career, right? Like all the great players have won a Stanley Cup in their career. And you assume the same is going to happen with. McDavid and Dreisaitl, whether it be on this team or later in their career or whatnot. But if there's a time to do it, this is definitely the team they're going to end up doing it on. But it just seems like when you get to the playoffs, it, it's just not the same game. You're playing against different teams. Your mindset changed. Your, your whole playbook changes. And it just doesn't come as easy as it appears in the regular season. And remember, McDavid had the – he led the league, what was it, even after he was eliminated – to the conference finals and into the Stanley cup playoffs, he was still leading the league, but that didn't get him anywhere. You know, it's like you still have to execute. So we'll see what happens, but right now they're playing phenomenally. I agree. And I do think it'll water levels out. I think there will be a stretch in the season where dry has 10 goals in eight games or whatever. And then McDavid will assist on all of them or whatever. Like I do think water will level out. I do think McDavid cracks 40 again. He had a career high 44 last year. If he gets to 50, that would be sensational for the NHL. I want him to win a cup in his NHL career. And I believe he will. The Oilers are a little bit more than these two. And we've talked about that. It used to be mm -hmm. a one line team. Dry on a different line and he gets the best out of Yamamoto and Evander mm -hmm. Kane and McDavid with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Pugliarvi. And there's great players mm -hmm. on this Edmonton Oilers team. Their goaltending's a little shaky, okay? Campbell, he was with the Leafs last year. He had good moments with the Leafs last year. He was an all-star. But now he's with this Maple Leafs team. He needs to settle down a little bit. And that could be a result of how the team plays. But when things clamp down in the playoffs, you need your goaltender to be solid. We'll see if he's able to do so. I do like the makeup of this Oilers team, though, because – McDavid and Dreisaitl are so good. And I do think there's potential for them to get even better. And I know that's crazy to think about. But McDavid's like 25. I mean, you're not supposed to enter your prime in the NHL until like 27, 28 years old. That's when guys normally have like their career highs. Like I think, I think they say your best five, average NHL player's best five is 27 to 31. McDavid's gonna have a thousand points by the time he's 27 maybe <laughs> I mean, he's got 700 something right now and he's 25 he'll he'll be at a thousand points before he turns 30 with time to spare mm -hmm. like that that to me is just you know no issue and last night Bucci's talking about Crosby 
maybe being the second player to ever reach 2,000 points. He needs he needs a lot still, but he's like on pace. And I think he can do it. His next assist will be his 900th, and he's got 500-something goals. So Crosby needs about 400-something more points. I think he can do that as long as he plays till he's about 41, 42, which I think he will, but as long as he doesn't get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, I think McDavid could be that third guy or potentially second guy. Um, Skyler says Oilers Hawks game was wild. It sure was. Frank Leon Dreisaitl scored with 37 seconds left after what was just an absolute crazy game. I mean, that second period between the Hawks and the Oilers was one of the most wild things. We'll get to the Hawks in a minute, but you know, there's not much more that can be said about McDavid and Dreisaitl other than I'm happy to be alive at the same time as them, to be honest with you. Yeah. It sucks when you have to play them. And I know the devils, I think their next game is against the Edmonton Oilers. Yep. So that's a rough one. That's a a true test for the Devils, I think. It is a true test for the Devils. You want to know something wild, though? McDavid has one career goal against the Devils in, like, seven games. And it was was with the goalie pulled for the extra attacker. He was 30 seconds away from having no goals against the Devils. And the Devils last year beat them. McDavid, Nugent Hopkins – Hughes and Heischer all scored. That game features four first overall picks and all of them score. I mean, it's just a first overall pick madhouse when the Devils play the Oilers. And I, I'm excited to see the, you know, them step up. Uh, SG Sports Talk Channel says top five players on the Devils. I mean, I think that's pretty chalk. I mean, you could say if you disagree with me or not, but the top five players on the Devils are Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, Jesper Bratt, Dougie Hamilton, and oh, the fifth one's hard. There are a couple players you can give it to. I would give it to Palat, Andre Palat. Fair. The other one I was battling in my head with was Marino because he's been – like the best defensive defenseman in the NHL so far this season. But yeah, I'll go with those five right now. Palat's out till probably January now, but those are my top, those are my top five players on the devils. Do you agree? Yeah, for sure. Brat Hughes, Brat's having that dude, man. He's having a great year. Hughes. um, Season ended today. He'd come in third place for the heart trophy. Dawson Mercer is not bad. Dawson Mercer is very good. I think he's a little underrated. He is. He could be the fifth best player by the end of the year, no question. I think he'll have more points than Pilat. Now I know he'll have more points than Pilat with all those. I I was thinking about making him fifth, and you didn't mention him, but I kind of like him. Yeah. I think it all depends. Fifth is depending on like what the top four, the Mount Rushmore of Devils, are undisputable. It is Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, Jesper Bratt, and Dougie Hamilton. Okay. And then the fifth guy, I mean, you could argue one of the goalies, whichever goalie's hotter at the time. Palat's in the mix. I really like Dawson Mercer. Siegenthaler is one of the best defensive defensemen. Marino's one of the best defensive defensemen. I, I really probably wouldn't put Graves, even though he's good too. Severson has some holes in his game. SG I, Sports Talk Channel also asks how many wins do you think they'll have by the end of the year? Um, 43. I was going to say 45. 45. 45 yeah. would be a lot because then you're on the door is, of a 100 point season. That's you 90. They have about eight OTLs. Yeah. That's yeah. about a 98. That's kind of where I was thinking with 43. 43 points is, or 43 wins is how many points? I might have went a little too high, maybe. Maybe 43, mm-hmm. 41. Or 7, 3 and 0. 
So they have those points in the bag. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully those are those extra games. Right. If they go seven three and zero every ten games, what's that record? Because just just do it out of eighty two. What's seven times eight? Oh, that's fifty something wins. Yeah, I don't know about that, Chief. They're not going to get fifty six wins. I don't think so. That, that would probably be President's Trophy worthy. Yeah, unless the be, Bruins or Golden Knights keep. That would up be one hundred and twelve points, not including any OTLs. Yeah, and there are going to be some OTLs mixed in there. I mean. They haven't even come close to going no overtime. Oh, the closest they came to going no overtime was against Colorado when Colorado really looked like they were going to tie it late and the Devils <laughs> held on for dear life. And they ended up not going no overtime. But I, McDavid versus Hughes will go to overtime. That's my prediction. That's going to be the first either OTL or OTW this season. Wow. But yeah, that's my take on the Devils with how many wins they're going to have. Um, Frank, are the Winnipeg Jets good? Well, you see, the Winnipeg Jets were my sleeper team in the Central when we were. Me too. Me too. I was going to bring that up. Good shit. The, they were when we were dissecting the divisions because, like, they could be really good or they could really be bad depending on the performance. And I forgot what I said about them. I I don't think I liked their defense. I don't think their defense was deep enough, but they had the offense out there to put together some wins. And I said if Hellebuck could, you know, get his shit together. They could be contenders in the Central. So, so far this season, they're 5-3-1. and one. They're second in the Central Division. They got some impressive wins. They shut out the Blues 4 to nothing. They beat the Colorado Avalanche. They beat the New York Rangers. Those are some pretty impressive wins. Wins that I wish I could say the Hawks have gotten so far this season. So, props to them. Shifley's been putting the puck in the net. Six goals, no assists, haven't been getting too many apples. But on the other hand, which I thought was really weird, Morrissey has no goals but eight assists. So it's like they're they're complete opposites. He's the point leader on the team, um, which is great to have. If you have Morrissey leading your team in points with a team of Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, um, Shifley, Shifley, and you're you're letting um, Morrissey leading the uh, team in points, that's really good and probably a big reason why they're second in the division right now. You know, Kyle Connor hasn't been that good so far. He's off to a slow start. He'll probably get things back together. You know, like you said, water always uh, levels out. He's got four points, one goal. Um, but Blake Wheeler's been almost point per game. So their offense has been producing. And like I said, Hellebuck has been fantastic. And not to mention that Nikolai Ehlers is on the IR. So he's also a man who they're missing right now. When he comes back, is that going to make him even better? I mean, this team's pretty good right now. So I, I would say, they're yeah, they're good. I think the Winnipeg Jets are good. I think they'll be a bubble team all season long. Do I think they'll make it to the postseason in the end? I don't know. It'll be close. But we both had them because of the fact that they have Hellebuck. And I believe if we went to the Olympics right now, Team USA starting netminder would be Connor Hellebuck. I do believe that. He would be our guy as Americans. Um, I am a little surprised they're this hot and their coach – kind of ripped on them a little bit after their most recent loss saying like they weren't ready and stuff like that. Like, okay, whatever they're, they are where they are in the standings right now. I think the jets have a good enough roster to at least be interesting this season. And last year I thought the same thing going in and they were like probably the, one of the more disappointing teams in the NHL last season. Like I had them as a for sure lock to make the playoffs last season. And then they stunk. Nobody was scoring. Everyone looked old and out of it. They fired the coach, obviously. Their uh, GM, now I'm drawing a blank on his name. 
Shovel Day Off, mm. was involved in the Kyle Beach scandal with the Chicago Blackhawks and sexual assault and all that stuff. So the Jets canned him. It was just a weird situation that a guy got canned for something not hockey related. He's done a great job as a GM, but stinky person from back in the day with the Hawks. So he's got the shit can, the whole Joel Quinville thing. It worked out better for Florida than it did for Winnipeg, but now it appears that they are all bought in. They're getting good goaltending. Um, We'll address these questions from Sports Talk when we arrive at those topics because they are all in here on our sheet. Um, Frank, first of all, do you have anything left on the Winnipeg Jets other than they're they're kind of like the Devils in the way? Like, let me see more. I don't think they're going to finish second where they are now. I think they're going to no. drop a little bit, but they'll they'll definitely be one of those surprise teams that we thought they would be. Yeah, I I think the team that finishes first and second in the Central, neither of them are in a playoff spot right now. Yeah, like. So- I, like was here in Nashville and freaking Colorado. Um, man, Nashville got boned by playing overseas to start the season. And now Colorado plays in Finland tomorrow. Not yeah. a lot of people realize that because the NHL does a shitty job of marketing themselves. Like when the NFL has games in London or when the NFL has games on, you know, they're in Germany, like you know about it. I was up at 8 a.m. to watch that Packers Giants game at a bar in Wisconsin. People in hockey, oh, Colorado plays in Finland tomorrow? You shitting me? How did I not know this? How is it not the leading story on every freaking, you know, thing going on with hockey right now? I just don't understand. But, you know, it is what it is. The Minnesota Wild, Frank, are back. Mm-hmm. And there's a piece on pucks or puckpros.com that went up this morning highlighting how the youngsters are starting to lead the way for the Minnesota Wild. And although you have Marc-Andre Fleury, the 38-year-old veteran in net, you have Kirill Kaprizov, who's in his third year in the league, leading the way in scoring and scoring all these goals. He had two yesterday. Matthew Boldy has six goals, which would lead most teams as a full-time rook. Or I guess this is probably his sophomore season by definition. Um, Joel Erickson Eck has only been in the league for a couple of years. He's racking up the assists like nobody's business. And he plays a Selkie-worthy level two-way game. Like, he might be nominated for a Selkie trophy in his career. I know there's a lot of guys. He might not win one. But he'll be in the top ten for years to come. And there was another – oh, Marco Rossi had his first career NHL point. He was a top ten pick from the 2020 NHL draft. And his point was fucking – sick nasty because him and Kirill Kaprizov came in on a two-on-one Kaprizov tried to pass it to Rossi it got broken up by the diving defender and then Rossi bats it out of midair to the ground and Kaprizov just shoves it in the net it was one of the more pretty hand-eye coordination goals you'll ever see from both guys and I just want to know what your thoughts are on the wild now that they're back up to NHL 500 living up to that Minnesota wild way of hockey led by the youngsters yeah, they kind of made me nervous to start the season. A lot of these teams have, uh, you know, started off slow, but that's why you play a full 82-game season. Matthew Baldy, he's been fantastic. The Wild are lucky to have this young kid. Kirill Kaprizov, you know how high up I am on him. I honestly think he's capable of getting 50 goals. He had 47 last year. I think this is the year he gets 50. He was one of my picks to get 50 goals. Um, another man who's not a youngster but has been playing well for the Minnesota Wild is Zuccarello. He's been really good for the Minnesota Wild. And ultimately, the goaltending's been better, which is what you have to see out of Marc-Andre Fleury because that was their biggest downfall coming in. Um, They've won four out of their last five games, which is good. I think this team has a lot of potential. They got a good mix of veterans on their team and a very, very good young core also with um, Boldy, Marco Rossi, and uh, Kaprizov. 
but they got the vets like Flurry and Zuccarello on their team. So they got a little bit of mix of everything right there. Rossi's got to step it up a little bit. He's only got one point. You got to see more from him in the games he's played. I think they're expecting a little bit more from him. Hasn't produced as much as I think they want him to, obviously. Um, but not everybody's going to be a Kirill Kaprizov. Not everybody's going to perform like uh, Boldy is right now. You can't you can't live him up to those expectations this early in his career. I think it will come over time. Um, SG Sports Chat says, thoughts on the Minnesota Wilds 4-win over the Montreal Canadiens? It's a big win. The Canadians are a team you got to beat, especially if you're the Minnesota Wild and you got all these high expectations of where you're going to finish in the Central Division. That's definitely um, a game you got to win, and they dominated. They didn't bypass this game. They didn't overlook it on the calendar, and it's good to see the Minnesota Wild doing good. Uh, as a Blackhawks fan, you know they're they were rivals with the Hawks or whatnot. I, I don't really have. I'm not in love with them. I don't really hate them. But yeah, I mean, props to them. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And going back to Rossi, he had a hard road to get to the NHL after being a first-round pick. He was sick with COVID-19, as bad as any active athlete I can think of. I mean, he was, like, in the hospital for weeks and weeks and weeks. I didn't know that. Yeah. His his battle to get back to playing hockey is, like, second to none. So his development was always going to take a little extra time because of that. He was basically on his deathbed because of this virus. And wow. here he is. He finally got his first career NHL point. So I'm happy for him. Take as long as time as you need to develop, man. Like, obviously, you want to see the points start going in. But, I mean, all you got to do is watch this goal. that It was Kirill Kaprizov's second of the game yesterday. All you got to do is watch that to understand why Rossi was the top 10 pick in the draft that year. And you saw his uh, his line mate in junior. Oh, the, I think it was the Ottawa 67s. Mar, uh, Jack Quinn, he scored his first mm-hmm. goal with the Buffalo Sabres a couple nights ago, his first goal of the season. The, those two were lineys for the Ottawa 67s. So, you know, glad to see those guys in the league doing well. The Wild are back. The Wild are good. Um, everyone knows that they're one of my more favorite teams in the NHL. I enjoy watching them. And they actually have some young superstars. For a long time, the Wild were just bringing in veterans to try and compete for the Stanley Cup with you know, guys in their late 20s, early 30s, which may work sometimes for some people, but for the most part, they never really committed to, like, tearing it down, and they ended up coming in last place that one year, uh, two or three years ago now, and, you know, they, they've done it the right way, and Boldy, Zuccarello, or not, not Zuccarello's older, Zuccarello kind of, like, was near the end of that, we're always bringing in old guys era, but he got to stick around, and lucky for him, because there's all these young guys, but when they had Miko Koivu and Danny Heatley in the early 30s, what did they do? They bring in Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter, who were 28 at the time for uh, whatever it was, like 13-year contracts or whatever, and they ended up not even finishing them because they got into their mid-30s after a couple of early playoff exits. Um, Jason Pominville, guys like that. like And they didn't hang on to guys like Mikhail Granlund or Charlie Coyle. They, they let all these guys go in favor of older people, and now they're finally – looking like a team that's doing it the right way. So I'm happy to see where the Wild are right now. Another team that absolutely rocks is the Vegas Golden Knights. They lead the Western Conference with their hot start. Bruce Cassidy's got the boys going, and you're seeing it from everyone. First of all, Jack Eichel is back to being one of the 10 best centermen in the NHL. He's well over point per game. When it gets to overtime, it doesn't seem fair. He might be second behind McDavid. Hughes is in this conversation too, but – for best players in overtime. 
And every time Vegas goes to overtime, he makes a sick play to either find Shea Theodore in front or score himself, do what he's got to do with all that extra open ice. You're seeing the depth scoring from, you know, Wild Bill Carlson and Marsha Salt. Riley Smith is having a great year. Their defense with Petrangelo and Theodore, excuse me, they are just on fire. Frank, I know you love the Vegas Golden Knights. What do you make of their rocking start? They are officially back, and I absolutely love it right now. Viewers may remember us talking about Coach of the Year. My pick and Vinny's pick, I think it was your pick, was Bruce Cassidy. If he keeps on this pace that he is, and these are the Vegas Golden Knights that we all expected, this man is going to win Coach of the Year. I have no doubt about it. The fact of the matter is everybody on their team is clicking right now. Carlson, Marciso, Stone, Stevenson, they're all performing well. Eichel, and that's what we expected out of this team. If the Vegas Golden Knights wanted to get back to the way they were, they needed everybody to step it up. They needed everybody to perform. you know. And we were talking about how their goaltending was something that we're nervous about going into the season. They got Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson, and that could be their biggest downfall. When you look at it, Aiden Hill is 4-0 with a 172 goals against average. It's like all of a sudden, the goaltending is not as scary. Like imagine if they did have better goaltending, how they would be. They're already amazing with Logan Hill or Logan Thompson. I combine their names. Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill. And like just imagine if you had Flurry on your team or, or just somebody of that level playing for the Golden Knights. This team would just be unstoppable right now. And – Right now, they're on a five-game road trip. They started off with a 3-2 to two win over the Washington Capitals. Uh, Vin, I'm sure you were keeping up with that game, but did you see the end of regulation when yes. the Capitals almost yeah. thought they scored? They thought they had the win, yep. And, you know, sometimes the way that works is when you think you, you have the win, the other team comes out and bites you in the ass, right? It just always seems like something like that happened. Not surprised that they won because the Capitals have – I, I really weren't wasn't high on the Capitals this year, and the Vegas Golden Knights are worlds better than them. But um, they they are impressing me, especially in their goaltending department, for sure. I'm glad they're back. I agree with you. I do think they're one of the best teams. I'm not going to crown Bruce Cassidy as the coach of the year just yet. He was my pick, obviously, but uh, there's a certain team from the East Coast that has a guy that's going to be in contention as well, obviously. Um, Montgomery for Boston in his first year with the team. They look like an entirely different team. Um, you know, thinking about other teams at the top of the standings, Buffalo's coach, if they end up making the playoffs, is certainly somebody that will be in consideration. The new Winnipeg Jets coach, Dave Haxtall with the Kraken. There are so many people that are going to be in contention for this thing all season long, depending on how the season goes for said teams. But, you know, I'm with you. I think he will be right there in the mix, and Vegas is off and running so i think they'll take the pacific division this season but they got to keep playing this hard game you know where they're hard to play against when they're down a goal or two they're not out of the game like that that's important for nhl teams and vegas has lived up to that expectation speaking of expansion squads the seattle kraken had a huge comeback win over the calgary flames and they're showing their stuff and they, I don't know if they're a playoff team or a, even a good team, but as of right now, they're looking like a team that's taking a step in the right direction. I love Ben years 
We'll see what happens with Shane Red. I don't know why they don't just send him back to the OHL already. This dude scratched every game. There's got to be something going on there. And I don't know if it's his fault or the Kraken's fault or both of their fault. But, you know, the Kraken, they're, they're getting it from everyone. They got decent goaltending. They look like a much better team than they did last year. What do you think of the Kraken at this point? Competitively bad. Like I've said the past few weeks, they they may be a little bit better than bad. Um, that win against Calgary down 4-2, to two, that was huge because you're facing a division opponent and you get two points against them. You don't even allow them to get a point. So that's big for the Seattle Kraken. Um, this is a team that plays a lot of one goal games. They've had six of them so far this year and their record in those six games are two, two and two. So you can't get much more even than that. Um, which is, I guess, kind of what you, what I kind of expected from them. I expected a lot of one goal games, them to win some and lose some. And right now you're dead, even two, two and two. They're on a tough three-game road trip right now. They got Calgary. They won. They beat Calgary. Then you got Minnesota and Pittsburgh. Those are going to be tough games with the way Minnesota's been playing. Pittsburgh's been a you know a little bit of a slump. But then you come home for six games. So that six-game home trip is or homestand is going to be huge for the Seattle Kraken. Right now they're they're up there in the Pacific. They're third in the Pacific. So if they can manage to scrape up two points out of these next two games on this road trip. Then you come home and you never know what could happen at home. Maybe they could put together a little win streak at home. But, I mean, Schwartz and Eberle, they have been the leaders of this team. They have been the, the most talked about players and outstanding players on this team so far. Matty Beniers, I, I think maybe I picked him to lead the team in scoring. I thought maybe that was, like, my, my pick early on. Maybe it's not going to happen the way Eberle and Schwartz have been performing. But, uh, yeah, Shane Wright. Maybe it was good that the uh, Montreal Canadiens passed up on him because I, I don't know what's going on. It didn't seem like he – it's just attitude is poor, it seems, with this franchise. And I said that before the season started, so we'll see what happens with him. But, yeah, the Seattle Kraken, man, they're competitive, but I don't know if they're a playoff team. Yeah, we'll see what happens with the Kraken. Last night, the San Jose Sharks and the Anaheim Ducks had an absolute barn burner. And I'm talking everyone on both teams was doing what they got to do. Eric Carlson surprisingly had his first career hat trick. I would have thought he had one up to this point. I know defensemen don't have hat tricks all the time, but like Eric Carlson, like does Kale McCarr have a hat trick yet? He might not. I don't I guess, think so. I guess maybe he doesn't, but we'll see what happens with that in his career. I'm assuming he'll have one. But it was an interesting game. The Ducks ended up taking it in a shootout because Zegras and Troy Terry each scored incredible goals um, in the shootout there. And the Ducks won this game 6-5. to five. Both ESPN games, which we'll talk about the first one later, were just complete barn burners. What are your thoughts on each of these two teams, the Ducks and the Sharks? It was a very entertaining team, or a very entertaining game between two bad teams. And... Coming into the season, I figured the Sharks would stink. Not this bad, really. I thought the Anaheim Ducks would be a little bit better than they are now. They haven't really been that good either, but nonetheless, the game was entertaining. Um, Zegris needs to perform a little bit better. Um, he needs to step it up a little bit. He's the face of this Ducks franchise going forward. And Troy Terry right now seems like he's the one taking over and performing how Zegris should be. And no, no, like disrespect to Troy Terry because he's a great player. But I mean, this is obviously Trevor Zegers' team. Um, 
the and the other thing that worries me is on paper, I thought their goaltending would be a little bit better, but they they have some goaltending problems. Um, Stolarz is not that bad to let up five goals. I think he could perform better. John Gibson, you know, he could be a little bit better. I'm this this team's goaltending to me is way better on paper than they're performing. So maybe that'll level out a little bit. But um, as far as the San Jose, San Jose Sharks go, Eric Carlson is leading your team in points right now. 32-year-old defenseman. That can't happen. That cannot happen on the San Jose Sharks. You got a lot of talent on your team. Logan Couture, Thomas Hurdle, um, Timo Meyer, And you have 32-year-old defenseman Eric Carlson leading your team in points. That can't happen. Big reason why the Sharks are losing games. They're not just they're not getting enough offense from their games or from their team. And when they do get enough offense and they pot five goals, they lose six to five. So bad news for the San Jose Sharks. Anaheim Ducks, not much better, but very entertaining game between these two. And I watched the whole thing. Absolutely. And I want to comment on your thing about Zegers. He has eight points in ten games. Not bad. Not bad. Everything, everything, everything he does is pretty. And I think that hurts him in a way. Because everybody thinks he's like this superstar. And maybe he is. Maybe he is. But when I asked Joey who's better between Jack Hughes and Zegers, he had to think twice about it. And he leaned Zegers. I'm like, no. Not even no, close. Jack Hughes, is, I think. Jack Hughes blows Zegers out of the water. Just because Zegers, when he scores, it's pretty every time. Every okay. single time it's pretty. That overtime goal he had a couple nights ago, it broke their seven-game win streak. I forget who it was against. That was the prettiest thing. To He was basically being hooked and held, and he still got that shot off with that kind of lift and power. Mm-hmm. Those are things that very few players can do. I mean, we remember the All-Star game. He's incredibly skilled, puck over the net, lacrosse goals, all of it. He is awesome. He's not better than Jack Hughes. He, he's still got a lot of development to go, and he needs to learn how to score and create offense in less pretty ways too because – not everything's going to be peaches and cream all the time with all that open ice. So, and his his shootout goal was he undressed Kakinen. He's so skilled. Yeah. So he might be like McDavid to your hands, and you know, you know who he reminds me of. He reminds me of Pavel Datsuk. And Fair. when I watch Zegers, I feel like I'm watching Datsuk. Datsuk never had a hundred points, but everything he did was pretty everything even stealing the puck and Zegers is very good defensively and maybe he'll be more like he where he'll have 80 points not 100 but his defensive game will be on point nobody's gonna poo poo on Zegers for that and you know you can win cups with a number one center like that Taves when did Taves mm-hmm. have 100 points right but here's the difference between Taves and Zegers everything Zegers does that affects the score sheet ends up on Sports Center top 10. It never fails. He is incredible and I like watching him play. The points aren't fully there yet. They will be. He's only in his second year too, don't forget. So, you got a long way to go before we're seeing Zegris put up 100-point seasons, but I'm not I, worried about Zegris. No, 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 not at all. One thing I do want to comment on, you talk about Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson would be leading a lot of teams in scoring. The reason oh, yeah. The reason the San Jose Sharks stink is because they don't have what is needed to complement a defenseman that is capable 
of putting up those kinds of points. Eric Carlson is for the first time in a long time healthy and looks like he's having fun playing hockey. And this was the Eric Carlson we saw before his foot injury that was in the playoffs and, you know, however many years ago in the trade mm-hmm. to San Jose. His first year with San Jose was incredible, but then he fell off a little bit as the team fell off. This year he looks healthy. He looks motivated. He hears everybody shitting on his $11 million contract, which the only reason that's a bad contract is because they they can't rebuild with him. If right. he was on a great team with this $11 million contract, I think – I legitimately think nobody would talk about it. If he was having hat tricks and all these assists on a really good team that had a chance to win the cup, no one would be like, oh, Eric Carlson making 11 mil, maybe three. I mean, you could make fun of the term on the contract, but for a defenseman that's doing what he's doing right now, that's an $11 million defenseman, I'm sorry to say. It's just kind of how it goes, but – you know, Bucci tweeted future Edmonton Oiler when it came to Carlson, and I'm like, wow, if Carlson went to Edmonton Oilers, their power play would just be so fun to watch. Every time they went on the PP, I think I'd have to tune in. <laughs> so that's the Sharks versus the Ducks. What a game. Um, getting close to wrapping up the Western Conference. Frank, the Arizona Coyotes made their – debut at home last Friday when they played at their home of Arizona State University, also known as Mullet Arena. It was a very intimate, a very fun, a very different way to watch a hockey game and, you know, think about a hockey game. Mm -hmm. It's not the best look for the league. It does feel kind of Bush League at times, but also there's something about it that I also enjoy and I think it's different and unique and something we've never seen before. And the fact that it's Short term for the Coyotes, I think three years. It kind of makes I'm going to enjoy the three years and then I'll be ready for them to get like a real NHL building when the time is right. But for now, hey, happy for these ASU kids. And they finally got their first win at home last night. What is your takeaway from this Coyotes team that remarkably is not even one of the five worst teams in the Western Conference right now? Yeah. I kind of like the games at Mullet Arena, to be honest. It was a different it was a different feel to it. And they played the Jets in their first ever home game there. I thought that was the game they were gonna win. I had a feeling before the game started that they it just felt right. There the headlines would be their first game at Mullet Arena. They get their first win. I thought it was gonna happen. They jump out two to nothing, then things went downhill and they lose in overtime three to two. But um I think their problem is, and the reason this happens, is that they're always getting outshot. I think they have the worst shot per game um, average in the NHL. They average like 24 shots per game. It's hard to win games like that. you got to throw in some 35 shot per games or shots. Yeah, shots per game. I mean, it's just how it goes. And it's kind of just like funny that they got their first win against the Panthers because like the Panthers are just letting every bad team beat them. The Hawks beat them. The Coyotes beat them. So, I mean, I think it's kind of funny. It was going to happen sooner rather than later. The only thing I don't like is that they don't have a goal horn. I mean, come on. that That's a little. You could get a goal horn in there. There's There's got to be some way. You just play I mean, the audio from someone's phone. Exactly. So, I mean, come on. You got to do something about that. However, they did pan over to Leah Hextall when, you know, whatever they were doing, they were just, she was talking and she was up by the concession area. It was very nice in there. Don't get me wrong. Like it is a college arena, but it's still a very nice arena. And you saw the concessions. Some dude was like pushing beers on a cart, which was a little weird to see. Cause you don't normally see that at hockey games, but I, I really like the design of the inside of the building. 
I like the atmosphere. It will be nice when they actually get a real arena. I'm sure the arena will be beautiful. But um, I, I don't hate it so far. The only I thing, agree. The only thing is that could be really bad is if imagine this team snapped. They make the playoffs. They go on this run and make it to the cup. The Stanley Cup's going to be in Mullet Arena. That would be weird. That would lose the league so much money, too, for like for the seats that you won't fill. You're only filling 5,000 seats. I think something would have to be done about it. I don't think Gary Bettman would like let it go, let it happen. Yeah, I mean. They'd have to like go borrow somebody's arena. Maybe Vegas? Yeah, they would have to. Yeah, I don't know. That That's interesting. I never even really thought about that. I don't see that happening this season. No, I, neither really next season either. But, like, what if it did? Yeah, I mean, they're three points out of a playoff spot <laughs> right now after their win. Like, the Western Conference just kind of seems to be bad right now. And so, you know, anything can really happen in this conference, I guess, with the way things have gone. But I'm happy the Coyotes are able to at least feel good about what has been a tough situation. Um, hopefully the wins keep coming. I'm rooting for them when they play at home. I want those Arizona State kids. They, they have a student section where the tickets are $25 and they bring the band, and that just sounds like so much fun. So I'll power through them. Uh, Shane Doan, who is the greatest Arizona Coyote of all time, his son is the captain of Arizona State, and he was drafted. I forget what team drafted him, but it, it might have been the Coyotes. And – I just think it's really fun, and um, I wrote about it before they played there. I'm going to continue to write about the Coyotes this season. I kind of enjoy that team. I hate when people just want them out so bad because, like, I think expansion and relocation are fun for some fans. I don't think it's as fun. I don't view it as fun. I feel awful that the St. Louis Rams left and then went to L.A. and became good. Like, St. Louis is a great sports team, and then they won the Super Bowl since – like, that just leaves a sour taste in everybody's mouth. Austin Matthews wouldn't exist if it weren't for the Coyotes. Uh, he would exist, but he wouldn't be the future 700 goal scorer, potentially break Ovechkin's eventual goal record one day. Like, what he has done is all because he became a Coyotes fan living in Arizona. And without stuff like that, I, I want hockey in unique places. What are they going to do? Move the Coyotes to Toronto so they can have a second team? Is that going to grow the game? No keeping them in Arizona and building a nice building and, you know, developing Logan Cooley, seeing what you got in guys like that, that helps you grow the game. And I'm all for um, this team doing what they got to do to get themselves in their own barn and what they got to go from there. But I know this isn't the part of the show you ever really wanted to get to, (laughs) but I leave you the floor to talk about the Chicago Blackhawks and everything you've seen from them since our last show. All right. Well, first of all, I want to mention last night was Native American Heritage Night. That was so sick. Very cool. The opening. That was so cool. cool. And they talk about Chief Blackhawk, and they had the drums going, and it just, like, really got them pumped up. It was really fun to watch. And the Hawks overall have been really fun to watch. They've really been in every game except the Colorado game. Really and truly, you look at their losses, they have one goal losses to Vegas, one goal losses here and there, and it's like, okay, this team is fun to watch, and they have no problem scoring, right? You look at their power play, their power play is a top five power play in the league right now, 
which is hard to believe because they didn't even have a top five power play when they were winning the Stanley Cup. Now, on the flip side, their penalty kills, bottom five, which hurts, obviously. But I just I just love seeing them get the puck in the net. I love seeing Taves having this rejuvenated season. He scored the Hawks' only goal last night in the 3-1 to loss to the uh, New York Islanders, which is just great to see. I love seeing Taves do well. Kane also leading the lead, or leading the team in uh, points, which has been really good. Excited to see that. Love when your two best players are, you know, kicking in the gear. Another thing, I just love seeing these, these young guys play. The Hawks also, which it's it's kind of funny because, like, I would have never thought this would have happened in at, at this stage of the game. But they currently have more points than Colorado, Nashville, and St. Louis. Never would have thought that. Right now, the Chicago Blackhawks are higher in the standings than the Colorado Avalanche, the Nashville Predators, and the St. Louis Blues, which I just think is comical. They're four, four, and two. I thought they'd be about two, four, and four, maybe at this point, or two, five, and three, or whatever at this point in the season. So, I mean, they've been a very fun team to watch. However, there are some problems going on in goaltending. Peter Mrazek's out with the groin strain. Uh, Alex Stalock has is in concussion protocol thanks to a hit from Casey Sezikis yesterday. Sezikis was fined five thousand dollars. He had a five minute penalty and a game misconduct for the hit on Stalock yesterday. Jackson Stauber down in the AHL, he's injured for the Chicago Blackhawks, so they can't bring him up from Rockford. So the Hawks had to go out today and sign Dylan Wells to a one year, uh, two way deal. For seven hundred and fifty thousand, and this dude, he's like, he's not that good. He's never played an NHL game, but his his numbers at the lower level are like, he's got over a four goals against an eight something save percentage, and that's at the AHL AHL level. It's not going to get any easier at the NHL level. So Soderblom, he's up. Um, I I like what I see from this guy. He just needs to develop a little more. But right now they got some goaltending issues, and. Ultimately, I think that is a major reason why the Hawks have been losing games because they haven't really struggled to score much. I don't blame them for not scoring against the Islanders, but yeah, I mean the Islanders—they trap you up and suffocate you until you make a mistake, and then they pounce on your mistake. Um, they, this is not a bad thing. They're an exciting team that loses games. And that's going to help them in the lottery. Being an exciting team will help the team develop. Nobody purposely goes out there and loses. Nobody has bad body language. They have a great coach, in my opinion, and that's the sign of a limited talent roster playing the way that they have. If they had Colleton with this roster, they would be in dead last. Like, what Richardson has done with this group, to me, is remarkable. And the fact that they're going to now start to lose games, I think, is good for them because I do I do take a high draft stock in this year. It's one of the best drafts ever. And this is a year to be that team. Um, see your guys get their points. See Kane play well. That's always fun. You know, see what you can get from Max Domi at a trade deadline or an Andreas Athanasiu at a trade deadline. And... We roll into the offseason with high hopes for the future with some of the draft picks that this team has made. Soderblom, keep playing well in net. You know, don't get discouraged if you lose a game 3-1. to one. And the, one of the goals was a Zach Parisi empty netter. Like, the, those things happen. And 
doesn't matter what the team does in front of you if you're Soderblom. You got to make saves. You got to be ready when your name is called. And I think he has a chance to be a part of the future with this team. Do I? Is he the number one long term? I don't know. Maybe those kind of guys seem to be drafted and developed out of nowhere. A lot of the times, goalies are a finicky position where they're good one year, not so good another. Uh, we've seen that with a guy like Mackenzie Blackwood, right? He was brutal last year. He was injured. So far this year, pretty good. John Gibson, most years, really good. This year, <laughs> like, you know, there were a couple of years where Corey Schneider was the best goalie in the league. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, it, it just happens like that with goalies. So you need to build a good team. You need to have a good culture. And so far, the Blackhawks are building that. They can end this season 25-whatever-and-whatever with 63 points, be second to last in the Western Conference standings, and there's still a chance that that could be viewed positively as long as they play hard, work hard, and eventually you see. Right now what I'm seeing with this roster is kind of similar to what I'm seeing with the Bears in a way. It's a talented – or it is an untalented roster – Playing above expectation because of work ethic, coaching, schemes, all sorts of things that help elevate you. So I think to myself, for both of these teams, the Blackhawks and the Bears, if more talent is implemented with this culture, you're winning games. Mm -hmm. Right? Like if you get a Bedard or a Fantilli or you make a big signing, if you're the Bears, if you get Justin Field some weapons and the defense gets like a premier pass rusher added. But you carry those same, you know, habits from the year before, boom, you're in the playoffs. You're maybe competing for, you know, winning a round or winning a playoff game in football. Like, I don't know. That That's kind of the way I look at it, and I'm happy with what I've seen from the Blackhawks so far. Mm-hmm. Frank, that is the Western Conference update in period number one. Let's head on over to talk about the Eastern Conference in period Number two. Welcome to period two of Bar Down, Frank. I kind of went over the New Jersey Devils a little bit, but I want to talk about them just a little bit more. Okay. They're 7-3-0. They have 14 points and lead the Metropolitan Division by a virtue of a tiebreaker over the New York Rangers because they have one more win and one last game played. The Rangers are 6-3-2 and in second place. Tough start for the Rangers, kind of battling back a little bit lately. They still only have a plus one goal differential. The Devils are plus 11. I don't think the Devils are better than the Rangers, but I think they could beat them on any given night. We'll see what happens if they ever match up in the postseason. I think the Devils have a brighter future because their best players are very young, while the Rangers' best players are probably in the middle of their prime. Uh, Talking about Panarin, Zibanejad, Kreider. You know, outside of Fox and Shesterkin, most of the Rangers' prowess comes from players who are at their 30s, if not about to be. Where the Devils, it's Hughes, Heischer, Bratt. Those guys are 21, 23, and 24. You know, it's just a little bit different of an outlook long term, but they've gotten good goaltending from Vitek Vanacek and Mackenzie Blackwood ever since we kind of poo-pooed on them in the first week. Blackwood's been second star of the week. Had he... I thought he was going to get a shutout yesterday. Vitek Vanacek already did get a shutout. 
I thought Blackwood was going to get one yesterday, and then the Devils got into a little bit of penalty trouble late in the game yesterday, and Bo Horvat scored two power play goals. Other than that, Blackwood was magnificent in a road game where the Devils looked like the road team. They won a game where they didn't play better than the other team, and that's probably the first win like that of that variety so far this season mm-hmm. where they got a win in a game that they like probably should lose, and that's the sign of a good team, winning games mm-hmm. that you don't always deserve to win. And I like what I've seen from this team. I'm looking at the the scoring leaders, and I see Jesper Bratt with 16 points. I see Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer with 10. Okay, and they've played 10 games as a team. Heischer's only played in nine, so he's over point per game. Hughes is right at point per game. And that's what slow starts in the first two games. You would think that both of them really kind of light the world on fire from here on out, and you know, get to that 82, 90, 100 point mark either this year or next year. I'm clearly a little bit high on them right now, but I'm also like kind of reserved in the way that let's see it past a month. You know, you got Edmonton on Thursday, you got Calgary on Saturday, two teams that have been vulnerable, but two teams that are also very good and very talented. They're going to need to play some solid road games in order to get it done in at least one of those two games. But I'm also curious where you lie on where the Devils are at this point in the season. You know, I picked the Devils to be a playoff team, and I think they will be. I don't think they're going to finish first in the Metro, but I do think they're going to finish in a playoff spot. Jesper Brett has been absolutely insane with 16 points. That's what you like to see out of that man. And just like you said, you know, winning teams, you're going to have to win those games that you necessarily don't expect to win or shouldn't win. I think those are – some of the most successful teams in the NHL do those type of things. Um, they are on a road trip, the Canadian road trip, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. Got that nice 5-2 win over Vancouver already. That Those two points are in the ba- your back pocket. Got tough games against Edmonton and Calgary. Those are true tests coming up. They've won seven out of their last eight games, which is something you like to see. And something I always uh, reiterate to you constantly is that the goaltending scares me. But what happens when the goaltending is good? Seven out of the, in those eight games, those seven out of eight games that they've won, they've only allowed 15 goals. That is less than two goals per game, which is insane at the NHL level. If you could allow less than two goals per game, um, yeah, you're bound to win. So, see what happens when the goaltending starts to click. They have the offense over those, those same eight games, they've scored 32 goals. So, you're more than double producing of what you're letting in. So, I mean, that, that proves it right there that when the goaltending is on and you could have consistent goaltending, they have the talent on this team to get it done. And that's ultimately why I picked them to make the playoffs this year because I knew they had the talent on offense. It was just the uh, the goaltending that needed to prove it to me. Right now things are clicking in the goaltending department, and if they do going forward, this is going to be a playoff team that we expected. Man, I hope you're right. And then on the other side of town, the two New York teams are – on a roll, okay? The, the Islanders have won, I think it's four straight now after kind of a rough start, but they look like the Islanders of old, and they're fun to watch. Well, I don't know if they're fun to watch, but if you like winning, they're fun to watch, and they kind of get help from all over the ice. Not, there's not one, like, leading guy. I know Barzell is that guy, but, you know, he doesn't break away from everybody else in terms of points. Anders Lee, Brock Nelson, Kyle Palmer, even a guy like Zach Parisi has four goals. You know, that, that's not nothing for a 38-year-old third-line left winger. And 
you know, their defense is pretty good. Ilya Sorokin is one of the best goalies in the NHL. I don't think there's anybody in the world who would deny that at this point. And then on the Rangers, you got one of the few guys who's better than Sorokin with Igor Shesterkin, but he had a rough start to the year. And, you know, Halak is terrible as a backup these days. But, you know, Panarin, Zabanajad, Kreider, Fox, this team is very good. Vinny Trocek is their second-line center now, and he's been really good for them. What do you make of New York hockey as a whole? Which of the two teams do you think is better? And do you, because the Islanders got a big three, nothing win over the New York Rangers. So you can't just definitively say it's the Rangers because of what happened last year. And do you think they both make it to the postseason? Are we having a Metro, a tri-state playoff? I think that the New York Rangers are better. I don't care if the New York Islanders beat them three to nothing. I do think the New York Rangers are the better team. They have the better talent. They, they're they're deeper and this is a team that could win the their division where the islanders they they really i think have no shot of winning the division at all you know you got zabinajad and panarin who are combined for 29 points so far this season they're performing how they're expected to or and and the rangers as a whole they're six three and two which is kind of like what we expected for them to look on paper because nobody expected them, the devils to be seven and three in their first 10 games. So if that didn't happen, the Rangers would be atop of the, the Metro as expected. And, you know, I mean, they're performing how they should be on the, on the flip side, you go over to the, the long Island, New York, you go to the New York Islanders. Um, they, they're currently on a four game win streak. And let me tell you those wins that they've won on this four game win streak have been very impressive. Rangers, Colorado, Carolina, and the Blackhawks. And the Blackhawks, that, that's a game that the Islanders have to win just because the Blackhawks aren't a good team. You can't just assume that you're going to beat that game. You can't just bypass that on the calendar. But they they fought hard. They got a good win to continue their momentum from New York, the Rangers, Colorado, and Carolina. Um, one of the biggest problems, though, and a problem that kind of worried me going in, especially when he signed his extension with the Islanders, was Barzell's contract. And Barzell hasn't scored a goal this year. That's a problem. That's a major problem. It's nice and, you know, it's all nice and good right now while you're winning, but he needs to find a way to get the puck into the net. You're, it's not going to happen with the assist. He's got 10 assists, which technically are 10 goals for the Islanders because the puck ended up going into the net, but it's got to come from Barzell, especially with that contract he signed. So he's got to get it done. Anders Lee, five goals leading the team in goal scoring. That's another thing. You want to see your leading goal scorer have more than five goals at this point in the season. You really do. The Blackhawks' leading goal scorer has more than five goals. You got to get more goals. Jonathan Taves has six. He got a six yesterday. Got to have more than five goals from your leading goal scorer. It, it, it's just a must. Um, so uh, that's something that needs to change. Then Brock Nelson, he's got four goals, seven assists. He's performing well. 11 points. You like to see it. But once again, got to find ways to get the puck into the net. Um, to answer your question, I do think that the Rangers are going to make the playoffs. I don't think the Islanders are going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to fall off a cliff. They're overperforming a bit to my expectations. I think they're going to come down to earth here eventually within the coming month or so, and we are going to see them miss the postseason. There's only one thing you said I disagree with. They're going to miss the postseason? No, I yeah. kind of think so too, and I think the Rangers are better. I also don't care that they won the one game. I would be, I would admit I was wrong if the Islanders beat them in like a playoff series. Or hell, even if they won the season series, you can't claim the Rangers are better. I mean, unless the standings were wildly different. But five goals is a lot right now. I know, but there's just 
The yeah, devil's we, leading goal scorer has five. He sure. Yeah, I know, but I, I really got a sixth. Yeah, you, you like to see more. You you gotta see more, in my opinion. It just it, if they're as talented as they say, Barzell should have five, six right now. That that that's fair to say. I, I don't know. I just think right goals, now five goals is like a forty-one goal pace right now. A lot of goals. When when the Hawks leading goal scorer has more goals than you, then that that's pretty embarrassing. Well, I mean, the Devils are he sure's got five. Brad has four. Hughes has four. Mercer has four, and they'll probably be one of the league leaders and players with ten or more goals on the season when it's all said and done. But I mean, what are what are the goals in the NHL? I mean, a, a lot of the teams leading goal scorer is more than five. There are only. Hold on. I can do this. I should say a lot of like the good teams, like the Islanders are in a playoff spot right now. I'm sure there, the only, there are only 20 players in the NHL with more than five goals. But I'm sure mm-hmm. most of them are on a playoff team right now. Um, Carlson has nine. Uh, Bo Horvat has eight. Uh, Cole Caulfield has seven. Brady Kachuk has six. Rasmus Dahlin has six. My boy Tage Thompson has six. <laughs> Alex Tuck has six. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I think you're undervaluing five goals. But outside, I, I agree Barzell needs to be uh, at five goals minimum. But also, it's where that, for me, and I'm not discrediting what you think, obviously, you know, you made some great points about the Islanders. But for me... That's a water will level out thing. Right now, he's getting the assists. Eventually, you hope so. he'll sco- he'll shoot the puck instead of pass it, and it'll be a goal instead of an assist. And you would so, hope so. I, it sounds like I'm high on the Islanders, though. I'm not. Like, if they keep winning, I will be. It won't take me long to change my opinion that eventually they'll. I just I hated what I saw from them against the Devils, and maybe I have like you know, a sour taste in my mouth. They beat the Hawks last night and Mm -hmm. they looked good, but the devils made them look like trash. And even if the the devils are better than the Hawks, but that's not enough for the games to be that different. Like what are the Islanders? Are they closer to that team that got murdered by the devils? Or are they closer to that team that shut down the Blackhawks? They're probably somewhere in the middle. And the Hawks played well. Right, it's yes, just Sorokin played really good. That that was the problem that they they were getting chances, um, that just didn't go in. Sorokin was playing well, so I absolutely agree. Um, man, now I feel now you're making me want like he sure has five goals. Are the Devils effed? No, but that I think he should have more. To be honest with you, or if Jack Hughes is going to be goal man, but if Jack Hughes is going to be the man who leads the team in goals, he should have at least five by now. Yeah, I, I don't think Jack Hughes is going to be a 40-goal scorer. 30-goal scorers have about four or five right now. 40-goal scorers have about five or six. The weirdos who get to 50 are in there. I don't think Taves is going to be a 40-goal scorer either, and he's got six. But I think Taves will push 30. I hope, but I, maybe, I like, maybe high 20s, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I hope that, so. Don't I forget, do think- though, there are a lot of guys – who have more than six goals that have a hat trick. You know, McDavid has a hat trick. Carlson has a hat trick. Um, th- there are going to be games where you go four or five without one. Then you'll have a hat trick. Like, I, I just think I agree that Barzell needs to be 
worlds better offensively, even though see, this is where I always battle with myself because when you're like, he doesn't have a goal. I'm like, Barzell doesn't have a goal. That is a major problem. And then you're like, Oh, but he's got 10 assists. I'm like, well, 10 assists in 10 games. That's on a pace. If a guy had zero goals and 82 assists, and was point per game, would people poo-poo on that guy, or would they just call I mean, him the greatest? be a little weird. Man? It would be really weird. Like, you didn't get one to go in off of someone's ass <laughs> It would be really weird. It would be weird. I wonder, okay, I wonder how many assists. That would be a problem. The organization would not be happy. I don't think they would either, but I, I also, how do you take out a point per game player, though? Yeah, you don't, but they wouldn't be happy. They'd be like, dude, shoot the puck once. Be yeah. one in eighty one. <laughs> Something. Yeah. That's funny. Oh. I now I'm gonna be I'm gonna have a close eye on Barzell going forward. But I would also rather I think I would rather my team have five thirty goal scorers than one fifty goal scorer and a bunch of twenty years. Fair. Yeah. You want production that's spanned out over a few players. You just want yeah. you don't want all your stock in one guy. I agree. And I think Brat, Heesher, and Hughes will all get to 30. Unless someone gets hurt. Uh, but here's the thing, though. Brat might only get to like 23, 24, but have 60 assists with the way this season's going. So, and empty netters come into, come into play. Like, there are all sorts of things that make goal scoring wonky. Not everybody's McDavid who's going to have 82 goals. Do you... Do you think something crazy like that is possible this year where McDavid like really goes off and has like 65, 70 goals? Mm-mm. I don't either. <laughs> exactly. they're, talk- they're talking about 50 and 50, which I do think that's possible because every player slows down Gosh. after 50 games. It it's it's going to be – he's not going to get 50 and 50. That's tough. Yeah, because he's never scored 50 and 82. And then let alone if you go a couple games without getting one, then you're hoping he gets a hat trick here and there, which he's capable of, but it's not likely. You know what I mean? It's it's tough. Absolutely. Frank, we got a question asking for the top five players on the Penguins. I disagree with that list. I completely disagree. There's an obvious name missing. Gensel? Yes. I was thinking Gensel and maybe even Brian Rust. Maybe? Yeah, I think right now I would take Ricard Raquel. But I think there's a very compelling argument for Brian Rust. And there's a compelling argument for Zucker. Gensel should be on there for sure. Oh, Gensel to me is four without question. Yeah. So Crosby, Malcolm, Latang, Gensel. Those are I agree. I wouldn't put Jari in the top five. Me either. But you can argue him in the top five. And you can argue uh, Rust. And you can argue Ricard Raquel. I would take Ricard Raquel. I've seen Ricard Raquel when he was with the Ducks before they started to fall off a cliff. He he fell off a cliff with them, but now he's with a winning team again, and he's a winning player again. Ricard Raquel is one of those players that like kind of has to be on a good team to see how good he truly is. And the goal he scored yesterday off of that sick play by Malkin, I tweeted the video. That was unbelievable, and very few players could come up with a shot like that. And he's also very clutch, too. He's a Bucci overtime challenge type of guy. You, like, you pick Ricard Raquel. Ooh, excuse me, from time to time, and you'll get lucky. But speaking mm-hmm. of the Pittsburgh Penguins, they let off ESPN's doubleheader yesterday with just an absolute barn-burning, awesome game. There are some games that I watch 
And the Blackhawks-Oilers game from last week was one of these. Where if someone says, Vinny, I really want to like hockey. Show me some good stuff. You play them a specific game and have them watch the highlights from that game. The Blackhawks-Oilers game is on that. I would say last night's Ducks versus Sharks game was on that. And this game yesterday between the Boston Bruins and the Pittsburgh Penguins is one of those games. The Pittsburgh Penguins got a goal from Sidney Crosby 30 seconds into the game. It was his 15th career goal in the first minute of a game, which passed Mark Messier for the most all-time opening goals. And then Malkin scored, so the two-headed monster has each has a goal now. And we're seeing this great play by Malkin that led to Ricard Raquel's goal. Okay. We've we saw some really good plays throughout. And the Pittsburgh Penguins find themselves with a five to two lead over the Boston Bruins. And then a young man named Patrice Bejeron scores. They're within two, except whoops. The Pittsburgh Penguins are going to review it for goaltender interference. The goal is deemed to be of the illegal variety. And the Bruins are back down to being three goals down. Okay. Lots of teams would be pretty deflated after that. You get within two and then it's taken away. Not the Boston Bruins. Because Pavel Zaka, Brad Marchand, and Taylor Hall scored three unanswered goals in regulation. Taylor Hall's with a minute and 17 seconds left in the goalie pool. Forces overtime, and then in overtime, it looks like Pittsburgh is going to take it because Hampus Lindholm takes a huge penalty against Evgeny Malkin. He tripped him. He tripped Gino. And the Penguins bring out Gensel, Crosby, Latang, Malkin. Four on three power play. They're going to win this shit easily. Nope. The Bruins kill the penalty, and who comes out and scores the game-winning goal? The guilty party of the penalty on Malkin, Hampus Lindholm. It was his fourth point. Of the night, it was a game that had fights. It was a game that had big comebacks. It was big goals, superstars performing. Brad Marchand, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Patrice Bergeron, Taylor Hall. All these guys who have been in Hart Trophy conversations for years. And the Bruins prevailed in overtime. It was one of the best games of the season. Frank, before we get to each individual team, what did you make of this game? It was a very entertaining game. I'm very glad that that type of game was on national TV. Um, well, that's what I make about the game. If you want me to talk about each team, I could talk about each team. Yeah, you could talk about each team. That's where I was going to go next. I'll, I'll start with the Bruins. This Boston Bruins team may be the ex- this the most exciting Bruins team we have seen in our generation that we have laid our eyes on. I I truly believe that. I think this is more exciting than the year that they won the Cup. I think this is more excited than the year they went to the Stanley Cup against the Chicago Blackhawks. And it's just because of games like this. They are leading the way right now at 9-1. and one. Um, and, and you look at Pasta as a career start. Bergeron is playing great under that one-year contract. Hall is playing amazing. amazing. Marshan's back from injury, and Marshan already has only two games played, and he's got four points. He's a he's two point per game player through two games. He's coming back, and it's like when this team is healthy, this team is is really going. And they're dealing with the David Krejci injury right now, which doesn't help him. But he'll be back, and you know the team will be stronger than ever when he comes back. But this team is one of the most fun Bruins teams we've ever watched in our generation. I truly believe that. 
But on the flip side of things, you got the Pittsburgh Penguins who are losing games they shouldn't. You should not lose a game you're up five to two in. You're winning against against the Boston Bruins. That's a game you got to win. You want to get that win against the Bruins, who are the best team in the league right now. Got to clamp down, especially when you disallow a goal and you're still up three goals. That that's just a game you got to clamp down on. They got some pretty bad losses this year. They lost to the Kraken. They lost to Vancouver. They lost to Montreal. It's like they are just overlooking those games. And these this is a team that I thought would be a lot better. And those are the teams you gotta you gotta beat. Jari has just been pretty terrible too lately. In the past four games that Jari's played in, he's given up 19 goals in his past four games. That's almost five goals against. That is horrific for this Pittsburgh Penguins team. And, and the, the bad part is you got Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, Rust. They're all performing. It's not like the team's underperforming. You saw yesterday, Crosby, Malkin, each with the goal. They each got to, you know, put one in the back of the net. But then it's like on the back end of things, the goaltending's ruining everything. You got all your guys that should be performing are performing, except Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith. You're losing games you shouldn't lose, and you're losing the teams you shouldn't lose, like the three I mentioned before. So bad. that's bad vibes in the Pittsburgh Penguins department. On the flip side, the Bruins have been amazing. Great game that ends in overtime. It was must must-watch hockey from a hockey's fan point of view. To me, the Penguins have an even bigger issue. It's the fact that they are now 4-0-1 at home and 0-4-0 on the road. There you and go. And the, they had a 5-2 lead. They're not blowing a 5-2 lead most games. I really wouldn't worry too much about what happened yesterday. It also is the Boston Bruins who have a history of coming back. But you got to clamp down. No, you got to clamp down. I'm not giving them an excuse for that. But the fact that they did look like they were going to win at home and really should have, to me, if you're the Penguins, you have to put a focus on winning on the road. Th- those types of games are going to happen and, you know, stuff like that. But they have to win on the road. You you just don't. Against bad teams like yeah. the Kraken, Vancouver, uh, Montreal. Those are yeah, games they got to win. win. A lot of these games that they lost. The you Penguins know, could, oh, go ahead. I was going to say they could easily be a two-loss team at this point. You know, growing up, I watched a lot of hockey with my dad, obviously. I grew up watching a lot of hockey with my dad, and he always made a good point. And and this point came into this game, uh, specifically with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he always says, you know, there's good points and there's bad points. The the Pittsburgh Penguins getting a point out of yesterday's game, that's a bad point. That's a terrible point. Now, for the Boston Bruins, that's huge. Those are good points. But you're not happy that you got a point out of the game. You should have got two. That was a bad one point, losing in overtime. You got to get two points there, for sure. And and they just couldn't get it done. I don't care if it's against the best team in the league. If you had brought Wayne Gretzky back in his prime, Lemieux, and you got everybody on this team, and you're up five or two, you got to clamp down. They're not God. They could be beaten. So just bad points. They're just they got some problems going on right now that need to be fixed because it's not their offense. I agree with you. Um... I do think they'll win a lot at home. They need to fix it on the road. I agree. So there are two things they need to fix. They need to fix what happens with leads because they've had leads in lots of games. And now that it happened at home, it is starting to become something that's worrisome. And you have the matchup advantage. You could put so-and-so, whoever you want, against Bergeron. You can have whatever defenseman you want going up against uh, Marshawn and Pasternak. And so the Pittsburgh Penguins, I do believe they will be better, but they got to start showing it soon. Um, That was a really good game, though. And I think the Bruins are 
one of the best teams in the league. They had they were number one on my October power rankings on puckpros.com. And I wrote a piece yesterday about Hampus Lindholm leading them to a comeback. It's probably the most underrated trade made in the NHL over the last two years. Like I, I texted Joey that yesterday. I truly believe that they gave up a first in Erho Vekanine, and that's a lot to give up. Uh top prospect defenseman in a first round pick, but you got Hampus Lindholm. The Bruins weren't the same team last year as they are this year, it doesn't seem like, because they they didn't score well enough last year. They were very much a one-line team. The perfection line was everything for them. And then they started playing Eric Halla with Pasternak a little bit. That worked down the stretch at the end of the season. But this year, they're just getting scoring from so many more places. Yep. And I, Taylor Hall looks like you know a really, really good player again. Brad Marchand's back. Pasternak is looking for an $11 million contract, honestly, with the way he's been playing. And we all know the consistency of Bergeron. I really like Matt Grizzlick. McAvoy will be back soon enough. I don't know about Carlo. Carlo's in big trouble. He's got like four concussions in the last 10 months or whatever it is. Like, I'm worried about him making a decision about his life, let alone his hockey career. Um, but he's a very good player. If they get him back healthy, um, that's something to think about. But yep. I, I like both of these teams. I do think they'll probably both end up making it to the postseason. But the Penguins have a little bit to clean up here. So Absolutely. one thing that this game pointed out to me, Frank, is the East – looks significantly deeper right now than it did last year when the top eight teams were pretty much locked and loaded by Valentine's Day. Yeah. Which kind of made the rest of the season lame for Eastern Conference fans because it always felt like you really didn't have much of a chance, like it didn't matter. You were just so out of it. And in the West, it's the same way, but it's because a lot of the teams have been mediocre to average. And you got a lot of 500 points percentage teams clamped in the middle there we're in the eastern conference a 500 team is eighth in the wild card standings the toronto maple leafs and pittsburgh penguins are tied for seventh and eighth oh and the montreal canadians are tied for sixth seventh and eighth with a 500 points percentage that's crazy and i like it way better this way and i was going to write it down i believe every team in the east right now has a chance to make the playoffs, and the only bad team, like really bad team, like lottery-level bad, and I don't mean – when I say bad team, I mean lottery-level bad, bottom five in the league, is the Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm looking at these standings. I see Ottawa, Toronto, Pittsburgh, Montreal, Detroit, Florida, Washington, all below the playoff line. Well, if Washington got in, I'd be 0% surprised. If Florida got in, I'd be 0% surprised. If Detroit got in, I'd be a little surprised, but not too surprised. We both picked them as a potential okay. sleeper. If Montreal got in, I'd be pretty surprised. I like It wouldn't surprise me if they ended up near the bottom with Columbus, but they've been playing well so far this season. And who am I? Pittsburgh would not be surprised if they make it. Toronto would not be surprised if they make it. Ottawa, same boat as Detroit. I'd be a little surprised. They were one of my sleeper teams, but if they made it, it wouldn't be like a shock to the world. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the East being this this much filled with parity so far? It's a lot more fun. I wasn't a fan of the way it shaped out to be last year. It made the rest of the season boring. You know, everybody in the East is relatively close, except the Bruins, who are at the top, um, and, and the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are at the bottom with six points. And the interesting thing enough is if the season were to end now, to right now, 
the there would be four new playoff teams this year than there were last year, which is great. Like, of course, it's great to see Toronto play Tampa Bay in the playoffs, right? You get that great matchup that everybody loves to watch. It's like it never gets old. But don't you want to see the Devils play Tampa Bay? Or how about a Buffalo and Pittsburgh matchup in the playoffs? How fun would that be? Or something of that nature. I like a little bit of change. I love the early chaos that's going on right now. I want to see these new teams do well. I want it to be competitively close so that you got that race for the playoffs or push for the playoffs down the stretch. You know, that's what I look for. That's what makes it exciting. And last year, it just we didn't have that, at least not in the Eastern Conference. And... I, I just really like what's going on right now. And I, I love that the Buffalo Sabres have been playing better. I love seeing the Devils play better. Um, the Philadelphia Flyers are in a playoff spot. I don't think they're going to stay there. But, I mean, it's it's interesting, the chaos. And they play the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs tonight. So, I mean, it's just we got some interesting and exciting games. It's like you never know what to expect out of the Eastern uh, Conference this year. If I asked you who your five best teams in the East were, you'd feel weird saying it buffalo's up there yeah you would probably put in buffalo and the devils you'd probably leave out pittsburgh and toronto who were two of our playoff locks before the season started say what you want about the leafs in the first round but like you're not thinking they're third to last in the conference at this point in the season and i do think they'll claw out of it they're only four four and two like that's not terrible right but yeah i like seeing the east where it is i also like seeing the devils in second in the east and Tops of the Metropolitan Division. We'll see how long that lasts. What I actually am hoping for, I'd love to see Carolina jump up and take the top spot and have the Devils play the Rangers in the first round. That would be exciting. See, it's those matchups that we're not able to get the past couple of years, and that's like what makes it exciting this year is that everything's a little bit closer. Yep. The, the last Devils playoff series win was against those New York Rangers. And both teams are wildly different looking now. I mean, who was on that Rangers team? Brad Richards, Ryan Callahan, Henrik Lundqvist. Um, was Marty St. Louis? No, Ryan Callahan was traded for Marty St. Louis. So that was uh, later. Dan Girardi. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the uh, – Stu Bickle. Remember Stu Bickle? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Freaking> idiot. <laughs> um, and the Devils, Clarkson, Parisi, Kovalchuk, Eliash. Mm-hmm. Broder, Volchenkov, uh, Zidlitsky. I mean, Ryan Clough. That Yeah, that team was sick. That 2012 Devils team shows up in my nightmares to this day. Um, got anything left on the Eastern Conference? Not really. All right. Well, let's go talk about some other sports in period number Welcome to period number three. Well, Frankie will give you tales of time. Frank, what is your favorite hockey story of the week? This is another one that was pretty interesting to me. Um, One of our guests in the chat made comment to it earlier. Uh, I don't know if you said something about it, but I was very interested that Eric Carlson became the second ever defenseman to score a hat trick for the San Jose Sharks in their history. And I assume you know who number one is. For Say that again. It's the second time in history. For San Jose Sharks. For the Sharks. The first for, one's got to be Joe Pavelski. Nope. No, 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 no. For a defenseman. Oh, for a defenseman. Brent Burns. Yeah. Which the, the San Jose Sharks have been around since 1991. It's 31 years old. 
And it's hard to believe that a defenseman here or there haven't gotten a hat trick. And it, it's two of the amazing defensemen, some of the best defensemen in San Jose Sharks history. Um, but you would think here or there somebody would have gotten one. I mean, you see players get hat tricks that you don't expect to get hat tricks all the time. It's a little harder, obviously, for a defenseman to do it. But I, I just thought it was really cool that he became the second ever defenseman in San Jose Sharks history to get a hat trick behind Brent Burns. It just it really intrigued me. That is. That's a really and good. funny part. Um, you were watching the game. Did you watch the yeah. whole thing? Mm-hmm. It took a while for the fans to realize that Eric Carlson got a hat trick because it looked like Timo Meyer. Or it was either Meyer or Hurdle. It looked like one of them tipped it in front. Yeah, it took like thirty seconds to a minute. One hat was thrown, and then the guy went to go get a hat. And this is like after, like the after the goal, the faceoff was dropped. There was a whistle. So there was a, a face-off in the offensive end somewhere. Then a hat comes down late. And then they're like, oh, I got to go pick up the hat. So the guy goes to pick up the hat. And then a boatload of hats just start flying on the ice because then they, they finally realize that Eric Carlson got the hat trick. But now that's pretty cool. So that, that's my story. That's hilarious. My favorite story is of the similar vein of the hat trick variety. My friend of the program, Tage Thompson, had a hat trick the other night. To compile up a six-point evening. That's wild. And he now has 12 points in his first nine games and is tied with Rasmus Dahlin for the leading score of the playoff line above Buffalo Sabres. They are 6-3-0. I think the Buffalo Sabres are so fun to watch. I don't know if they're going to end up being a playoff team. I know Spittin' Chicklets is made, was scared to make a Buffalo Sabres wagon t-shirt because the last time they did that with a winning record in early November, they fell off a cliff and Buffalo wanted Grinelli dead. But, <laughs> you know, what's going on with Buffalo right now? I see what's happening with the Bills and how into it people get there in Buffalo. I think it's one of the more underrated sports towns in our country. And... I love seeing what Thompson and the boys are doing. I think they they got a lot of good players there that are underrated. Rasmus Dahlin is going to make a push for the Norris Trophy, I think. And, you know, he might not win it, but I think, again, he's making a push. He scored his sixth goal of the season yesterday. That's a lot for a defenseman. And he modeled his game after Eric Carlson, Mm -hmm. the two Swedes. And, man, those two are off to a great start, but specifically Dahlin, who's kind of for the first time having, like, his true offensive breakout season. And the top three in the Atlantic are Boston, Buffalo, and Tampa Bay. It looks like the late 2000s again. But, you know, my my story of the week is Buffalo. I'm happy they're having a great start to the season. I hope they keep it up. It's the year of long-lasting playoff droughts coming to an end. As in the NFL last year, the Cincinnati Bengals made the first playoffs for the first time in like 19 years or whatever it was. In baseball – The Seattle Mariners ended a 21-year playoff drought, the longest in the American League. And the Philadelphia Phillies ended an 11-year playoff drought, the longest in the National League. The longest playoff drought active in the NHL right now is these Buffalo Sabres. They haven't made it since 2011. I'm hoping that this is the year of playoff droughts coming to an end. We'll see if they're able to keep it up. My story of the week. Awesome. Very nice story. Frank, the college football playoff rankings came out from the committee for the first time yesterday, and now those are more weighted than the AP poll, which still has your typical chalk, Georgia one, whatever. The 
College Football Playoff Committee, though, finally released the rankings. Again, those are the important rankings. Those are the ones that we now pay attention to. The AP polls essentially are relevant going forward. Tennessee 1, Ohio 2, Georgia 3, Clemson 4, Michigan 5, Alabama 6, TCU 7. Those are off the top of my head. I was trying, I was like pie. I was trying to see how far I could go without <laughs> losing one. And I got to seven without, I forget who's eight, but TCU undefeated seven and oh is seven. Alabama one loss six and one is six. Michigan is below Clemson, even though they've been way better than Clemson and they have more high quality wins than Clemson. <laughs> I can't believe they were Michigan was number five and Clemson was number four. That'll obviously get settled when Ohio State plays Michigan and Tennessee's going to play Georgia. They're one and three right now. But what is your biggest takeaway from the college football playoff rankings as they stand right now? Tennessee is good. Tennessee's a very good team. Um, they're fun to watch. They're explosive. And that's what I like to see from a team. This is it's a very interesting ranking. I know you think you're not a fan of Ohio being ahead of Georgia. Nope. I think Ohio's a little bit uh, underrated. I think they do have a very good team. I do think they have a chance to win it all. It's going to be tough getting past the other teams that are currently up there with them. But um, Georgia, I think, probably deserves to be two. Maybe even one. It's kind of surprising that they have Tennessee at one. Um I know how good they are, but it's like you, they came out of nowhere. Like they haven't been in the top four, and now they're just here. It's, just, it's a little surprising because I, I do think Georgia's got a good team. Clemson, on the other hand, they're, you know, you call them frauds, but I don't know. I don't know. Is Clemson there because of their name? Is that a big factor of why they're there? That could be. They're also undefeated. They're also undefeated. but the third best conference. We'll see what happens with them. It's very interesting. I'm very excited about that Tennessee-Georgia game. Didn't realize it was Saturday. That's going to be fun to watch. Um, and you said Ohio plays Michigan? In three weeks. Oh, okay. Not this week. It's rivalry week. It's the last okay. week of the season before the championship week. That'll be a lot of fun too, obviously. Oh, yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see how these rankings come out in a few weeks from now towards the end of the season. But – it's not going to look like this, obviously, um, but it's very interesting so far. I think it's the worst ranking I've seen the committee put out. Wow. Tennessee is great. Love them. Fun to watch. I hope they smoke Georgia. But until they do, they're not higher than Georgia. <laughs> Stop. There's a reason if you click your little betting app right now, oh, I'm Frankie, I'm going to make my bet. Georgia's 11-point favorites. Like, what are you doing, committee? I just don't – these people are so stupid. Just the <laughs> dumbest human beings. Michigan – and I'm not a Michigan guy. I Like, ew. I don't Vinny even like loves Michigan. Ten. I don't even like the Big Ten. The only Big Ten teams I like are Northwestern. Vinny's a big Michigan fan. I come from the land of Lincoln. I come from the land of Lincoln. I root for the land of Lincoln. Go Illinois, Gordon, Northwestern. Outside of that, nasty the Big Ten. Ugh. Get it away from me. I like the SEC. Michigan is better than Clemson. They might even be better than Ohio State. They smoked Penn State. They smoked Penn State. 
Yeah. And Ohio was losing to them at halftime. <laughs> but I, they won. They won, and they won because of that one defensive player. I forget his name. Had two fumble recoveries. One went for a touchdown. He had a pick six. Um, Vinny hates Ohio State. Vinny Stroud, hates the Big Ten. Stroud, I do hate the Big Ten. I don't hate Ohio State specifically. I I don't hate the Big Ten. I just they're wildly over. Vinny hates Illinois. I love Illinois, but. <laughs> They, Ohio State, they were in danger of seeing C.J. Stroud go a game without throwing a touchdown pass. That's true. It would have been his first game in his college career that he hasn't thrown a touchdown pass. And he eventually got one. And, you know, what are they? Penn State folded in the end like they always do. All these, all the A-tier teams, you know, there's S-tier and then A-tier. All the A-tier teams fold when they play Ohio State and Michigan. None of them can ever put up a fight. The only, you know, credit to Purdue. Every now and then Purdue beats Ohio State and like puts up a good game against someone. But I mean, it's going to come down to when Michigan and Ohio State play each other in the Big Ten Championship and the committee's too much of a coward to make it two SEC teams and two Big Ten teams in their first college football playoff ranking as if Georgia doesn't play Tennessee this weekend and just going to shake everything up. And they also had the goal to put Alabama. See, this is this is why I get so angry. Because they put Alabama ahead of TCU. Why? Because they believe Alabama's better despite one loss. Well, they are. Okay. Michigan would destroy Clemson. They would be 20-point favorites going into the game. They would destroy them, and the committee knows that. But for some reason, that logic only applies to certain teams in the SEC. Ooh, college football makes me angrier than every other sport because I legitimately think it is run by the biggest group of big, dumb dipshits in the entire planet. Michigan being below Clemson and Tennessee being ahead of Georgia and Ohio State being ahead of Georgia too, it should – listen, it should really be – at the end of the day, Georgia should be one. Ohio State should be two. Michigan should be three. And Tennessee should be four. Alabama, five. Clemson, six. Who am I missing? TCU. TCU, seven still. Yeah. If you're going to sit here and tell me that Alabama's better, even though they have one loss, then you can't tell me that Georgia's not better than Tennessee. Their highest ranking in college football playoff, the nine years, their highest they've ever seen their name pop up is 17. Now they're one over Georgia, who's an 11-point favorite against them. I just don't understand this thing. What were you going to say? I do agree that it's a little weird that Tennessee is one. That's very strange because, you know, it's like you're almost giving no respect to Georgia after all these years. Um, and and like I said, Tennessee came out of nowhere. They were just – they're just here and now they're one. I love it. I love the chaos. I love me to see too. them at number me one. Too. I hope they win on Saturday. So do I. I'll be rooting for Tennessee. I, I do agree with that. Um, Georgia should be over Ohio. Georgia should be – I kind of agree with your ranking. Besides Michigan. I think it should be Georgia 1. Um, who was your 2? Ohio State? Ohio State. Yeah, probably Ohio State 2. Then, 
I'd probably have maybe Tennessee three and Clemson four. I do like the Clemson at four. Really? I don't know. I like I look and Clemson's gonna make the college football playoff, and here's why. Well, it's a good moneymaker. Well, I, they also they're gonna deserve to make the college football playoff in the end, too, I believe. Because one of Georgia and Tennessee will take out the other, and one of Michigan and Ohio State will take out the other. So as long as Clemson takes care of their own business, they'll get in and they'll deserve to get in. But where it stands right now, which I guess that kind of makes it like, why would you get so mad at the first ranking? Because these teams are just going to take and out. And it the doesn't matter. Players. The first yeah. ranking really doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. But um, Frankie or Scott is right. Tennessee does have better wins than Michigan. But there also is like the factor of Michigan has killed everyone they've played. And I, I just I think Tennessee might be better, but I'm not positive of it yet. I'm not positive of it yet. It was similar thoughts to what we said with Cincinnati last year, and I know Tennessee's a Power 5 school, and Cincinnati isn't. But they've been a lower-tier Power 5 school for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, like, who knows? Last year, Cincinnati team might have been able to beat Tennessee. Maybe not, but maybe. And when I look at Clemson, I'm like, okay – their best game coming up, or they play Notre Dame this weekend, and they'll probably kill Notre Dame, right? Unless if Notre Dame pulls off a big they win, did. then Clemson Dunzo. TCU's hardcore Irish fans right now, because them winning would really help them. But then, like Alabama, where do they come into play? That they can get in if if whoever's on their side. I think they're on the same side as Georgia. If Georgia loses to Tennessee and then Alabama beats Tennessee in the SEC championship game, boom, now both of them probably make the playoff. It's just, it's so, there are so many crazy things that can happen. I just think, I think Michigan is going to beat Ohio State in a couple weeks, personally. If if Tennessee beats Georgia, Tennessee deserves one. Yes, agreed. Absolutely. Because then you agreed. got like a lot of good wins under your belt. And what if, that Michigan and Ohio State game, that'll be a big tell, too. Yes. It That's why these first rankings don't years. matter. Yeah, they don't. They you really could have don't. Tennessee at four and Georgia at three, and then after that game, it's going to change anyway. It doesn't matter where they lie because the winner of that game is probably going to be one. Here's the it's thing, short. though. The only reason I do think it matters is because previous rankings can influence future rankings. Now if Tennessee loses – to Georgia, and listen, I love the SEC. I love the SEC. I love I, fairness more. I just thought of something. I don't want if, to forget it, but go If ahead. they ranked Georgia first and Georgia beats Tennessee, now Tennessee's out of there. Now that Tennessee's first. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. gave themselves an out for if they lose to Georgia. Exactly. Them in. That's, the po- that's exactly what I was going to say. I, I think that's that. why they did it. Because if that. if Tennessee's four though and they lose, then you got to bump on out of four. But if there's one, they probably drop to four. Yes, right. And I think that's why they did it. They'd probably drop to five. I I don't see them dropping out of the top four. Tennessee, if they lose to Georgia, they're going to be five or six. no way. Yeah. I would be shocked. They would be five or six because Michigan would climb in. 
you can't, but that's like, you can't have them one and then lose to a top three team and bump them out. That's just idiotic. I just think the, no I think the committee did that on purpose, knowing that they might lose to keep them into the top four. See, I think they did it to keep them in the top six because the top six are really all that matters right now this early. And then, you know, you could see what happens when Alabama plays Auburn or if they play each other in the SEC title game, uh, stuff like that. Like, what you know, how's the SEC title game going to impact things? Does Ohio State beat Michigan? I just think, like, what's going on with Michigan? They got to come in at some point. And I'm wondering if I'm here. Okay, so I am here. Frankie is dealing with some technical difficulties, but – when talking about um, what's going on with the college football playoff right now, I just – I can't see that a world. Weird. Yeah, that, that was weird. weird. And I can never tell if it's me or you, so I don't know if I should keep talking or whatever. But, uh, dude, I'm telling you, if Tennessee loses to Georgia, they're going to be five or six. I would be stunned. They will scared. not put a one-loss Tennessee team over a one-loss Alabama team. Uh-uh. But they're one. I know. Dude, I'm not saying make sense. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that's what I would do. I know, but the logic doesn't even seem to be there. The committee's logic never makes sense. That's why four of teams is a failure, and I can't wait for 12. Their logic is dog pile. Yeah. Dog pile. And <laughs> Part of me hopes Tennessee just wins so we don't have to deal with that nonsense. I would love for Tennessee to win. Georgia's getting bumped out if they lose. Georgia will be below Alabama and Michigan and possibly TCU if they I lose. think Georgia's five if they lose. Yeah, I think Tennessee's five if they lose. But too. see that Georgia's I don't three. see how that happens. You go from one to five, but three to five seems more logical. They might even be six. That would just be because if Tennessee loses to Georgia, Georgia's going to be one. Ohio State's going to remain two. Clemson will be three. Michigan I think it's will impossible they're six. Alabama will be five. I think it's impossible to be six. <laughs> Next week when we come on this show, because I do think Georgia's going to win, even though I want Tennessee to win, I think my brain that has been watching college football for as long as it has. Dude's brain's been fried with glue. I told you about Cincinnati last year, and my excuse was my brain. But they made it. But I said they would make it at the end. If they won out and so-and-so lost. I forget who needed to lose. They did. And they did, yeah. I think it was – was it TCU? Someone needed to lose last year, and they did. So Cincinnati got in. But if there were, if there were an SEC champion that had one loss, they would get in over undefeated Cincinnati. I still stand by that. And this year, they they put Tennessee at one to give themselves an out to get them back in, but they would not put them ahead. A one-loss Alabama versus a one-loss Tennessee? <laughs> I just don't see the world where that happens. I just I don't. don't. And, and Michigan undefeated? Especially if it's a close loss to Georgia. If it's like by a field goal. Come on. Okay, maybe. I, listen, it's not what I want. I know how dumb this committee is. A bu- like I said, a bunch of big dumb They dipshits. can't be that dumb. They're dumb. Dude, <laughs> you can't tell by this ranking that they're dumb? Yeah, I guess, but I think they did it. There's a method to their madness. 
Yeah. They want Alabama in the playoff really bad. And they probably want Clemson, too. And then know. one of Michigan and Ohio. I don't know. How many years in a row now do we have two SEC teams in the playoff? A lot. A lot. It's usually some mix of Alabama, Georgia, I also uh, LSU. I also think this is this conversation changes dramatically if Notre Dame beats Clemson. Clemson will be out. Yeah, yeah. Which I think could also save Tennessee if Tennessee lost. Yeah, and Skyler makes a great point in the chat about them being terrible. Never forget uh, Big Ten champion Penn State not making it over non-Big Ten championship uh, Ohio State. And then the following year, they let Alabama in the playoffs over Georgia. And Alabama was the champion and Georgia wasn't. And they used the logic that Alabama is the champion, so they deserve to get in. When one year prior, they didn't care about a team having the championship. That's just all sorts of messed up. That is messed up. It, it sets you up for disappointment if you don't just see it happening before it happens. Well, hopefully I'm not disappointed. Well, hopefully Tennessee just wins and forces. Tennessee's going to be my new Cincinnati this year. Yeah, at least there's power five to back up your claim in this time around. I'm I'm a big Tennessee backer this year now. Yeah, I am too, honestly. And I was rooting for Cincinnati last year. I just knew they had no shot. It was sad. It's, the The group of five schools are such set up to fail when it comes to stuff like this. Cincinnati Maybe with would the have twelve teams, though. Well, with twelve teams, one there will be group five, of five. One. That's it. And I think so. It'll always because there's six conference champions, so the Power Five and then one group of five. I don't think they'll let an at-large Big Five team or group of five team in. I don't. You know, never. Because there's never, there's never two group of five schools that are in that conversation. It was Boise State for a while. Then it was NIU for a while. I think Fresno State has a couple in there. And then Cincinnati last year. There's not even a group of five school this year that is, like, even close. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think one year a MAC champion will get in. One year uh, whatever conference Cincinnati's in. We'll get it. But, like, if Cincinnati joined the Big Ten, they'd finish in third or fourth place. Yeah. Maybe Illinois will win out and make everybody think about putting them in. That'd be cool. I'd root for it. So, Frank, the NFL trade deadline was yesterday. Chase Claypool was traded from the Pittsburgh Steelers to the Chicago Bears. We saw the Denver Broncos, my Denver Broncos, wave the white flag and trade Chubb to the Miami Dolphins. Um... Listen to this. The three picks that the Miami Dolphins got for the second overall or the third overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft mm-hmm. in which the San Francisco 49ers selected Trey Lance mm-hmm. with the three picks that the Dolphins got for that pick that ended up becoming Trey Lance. They acquired Tyreek Hill, Chubb, and now I'm drawing a freaking blank on the third guy. The Miami Dolphins turned that trade into such good stuff. Um, and as far as the Bears, Claypool joins Komet. They were teammates at Notre Dame, had great success together. What did you make of the trade deadline? Is there anything specific 
you're is there a team that you're now thinking is pretty good is there a team like you're surprised wave the white flag like the colts like the broncos Green Bay didn't land anybody they thought they were going to. What's your takeaway? Well, I think that the Dolphins got really significantly better. Yep. Um, I think that's huge for them. Absolutely massive. I know this trade didn't happen on the trade deadline, but getting Roquan Smith to the Eagles was massive for the Eagles. Um, but who else? There was somebody. Else. Oh, the he's Ravens. not playing right now, huh? The Ravens. Robert Quinn went to – the Eagles, Roquan Smith went to the Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. No, but what I was thinking uh, was Calvin Ridley to the Jaguars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's not playing right now. No, he's suspended but, for the uh, gambling stuff. Right, but uh, that's big for the Jaguars going forward. I mean, he's a, he's a great player. So the, Claypool, Bradley Chubb, and Calvin Ridley really were like the cream of the crop, in my opinion, of the trades to happen on the deadline. Um, yeah, I, I think the biggest winners on the trade deadline day had to be the Dolphins, potentially. Yeah, I think it's the Dolphins because Chubb. But I also – there's another team that um, stands out to me. Um, the Vikings traded for Hawkinson. Oh, I didn't know that. From the Detroit Lions. So I now they add a really good tight end like that to – Kirk Cousins offense that features Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson. I mean, this Vikings team is dangerous. Wow. Again, ceiling to their success because of their quarterback. I think they will win all playoff game. I do. But their offense is great. Wow. And they have a top 10 offense. And as long as their defense continues to play the way that it has and kind of always has, I like that Vikings team. So them and the Dolphins for me. Yeah, I didn't realize that they made that trade. I didn't realize Hawkinson left. Yeah. And now the Lions really stink. Yeah. Well, and now that the Bears got Claypool. Claypool is huge for the Bears. I like Claypool being a Steelers fan. and Yeah, and me too. And I think having another receiver to help Justin develop, it's not about winning games. It's really just not. I don't care if they win another game. They might not. But as long as that kid continues to look better and like a guy who with more talent, with a better team, I mean – back-to-back weeks of essentially scoring 30, that's incredible. The Bears never do that. And they also don't normally give up a 45-burger, but, (laughs) you know, that's what happens when you rebuild sometimes. And the Bears, they're they're looking good. And I like Chase Claypool, good joining. David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, Cole Komet, Darnell Mooney. We'll see if Nikhil Harry can continue making – plays. Uh, I'm not too sure about Valus Jones Jr. I'm not as high on him as I once was, but it's a good move for the Bears. Absolutely. Great sign. Do you have like an NFL thing that sticks out to you going into this weekend? Yeah. Something really stuck out to me that really surprised me was that this trade deadline day made history. It was the most active trade deadline day, day in the last 30 years. There were 12 players and 10 deals made, which doesn't seem like a lot, but that was the most that's happened on the trade deadline day in 30 years. Why do you think that is? Because I think there's a very obvious answer. I have no idea. I think the NFL and football in general is the hardest sport 
to pick up with a new team. So, for example, and I think hockey's the second hardest, but you'll see a guy get traded to a new team and struggle in hockey. Why? Because he's not used to their systems. He's not used to the way they play. He's It's an adjustment. And then he comes in the next year, and all of a sudden he's great. Uh, someone that comes to mind is Dougie Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Dougie Hamilton looked lost in the devil system last year. And now this year he understands it. It's working out well. He's getting lots of points. He's their leading scorer for defensemen. Like stuff like that happens in football. It's that times a billion. And you can't just plug any wide receiver into an offense and expect them to just be great right away. Mm-hmm. They don't know the schemes. They don't know the coverages. They don't know the, the routes, how the quarterback throws the ball. It's not fantasy football. Okay, and I know you love fantasy football. You got Roger Goodell up your ass. <laughs> but they it, – it's different, and I think that causes teams to not make as many trades. Like it's just smarter to accept your losses in any given year and go for them in the offseason and start them fresh with the programs in April so that they're ready by the time training camp comes around. You wouldn't be able to just take Tyreek Hill right now. And maybe maybe there is an example for like the freaks. Like maybe Tyreek Hill would be able to come to the Bears right now and just catch whatever ball Justin Fields threw his way. Yeah. But like outside of maybe like the three or four freaks in the league, it's hard. And offensive linemen, the way they're scheming, they're blocking coverages and stuff like that. Defenses, you can't just plug, you know, I'm going to be very interested to see how Roquan Smith plays on the Baltimore Ravens. Like, is he going to be able to just be plugged right into that defense and hum along? Some guys do. But I, I just think it's the hardest sport to make trades like that, and that's why I think this was the biggest trade deadline in NFL history because a lot of teams stink. There are more stinky teams than ever, and they're throwing in the towel trying to get ahead of the curve on trying to get better and add draft picks and stuff like that. This has got to be the most three and five teams through eight weeks <laughs> I've ever seen in an NFL season. I mean, every freaking team is three and five. Yeah. And it's just crazy to me. So those teams – we're that's sellers. good analysis. And so, yeah, that, that, that that's my takeaway on – It could you. be. That's my takeaway on why it's hard. And, you know, is Claypool hey, going to mesh with the Bears right away? I'm thinking probably no. I'm interested to see how Hawkinson or whatever his name is plays with the Vikings. I think Kirk Cousins is a little more simple. It'll be a little bit more of an easy transition. But, like, there's a reason Green Bay sucks. It's not because Aaron Rodgers sucks. The, the chemistry with these young receivers that were draft picks and young and still developing, you don't just join an NFL team and be sick right away without learning schemes. Like Jamar Chase had a significant advantage playing with Joe Burrow, mm-hmm. right? Like those guys were buddies. And so that helps. And the schemes are all built around Burrow, which is probably a relative copy of the LSU offense, which was also known by Chase. So, that's why I think trades are a little bit fewer and farther between in the NFL as opposed to basketball. If you NBA, were to take, it's like way different. If you took who's the best team in the NBA right now, the Bucks. Let's say, let's say the Lakers were sellers at the trade deadline and they wanted to trade Anthony Davis to the Bucks for three first round picks. Anthony Davis would just go be sick with Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee, and it'd be no problem whatsoever. Let's say the Brooklyn Nets, because they fired their coach and everybody's pissed off and Kyrie Irving's an asshole and Kevin Durant is this, and the Bulls were like, hey, let's add Kevin Durant. They'd be able to plug him in, and he'd be sick with Levine and DeRozan right away. Mm -hmm. Baseball. 
you're hitting the ball that's pitched to you. You're catching the ball that's hit to you. You're pitching the ball the way you do. There's a little bit less of a scheme in baseball. You, you play the game. That's why I think like you can put, you know, so-and-so on a team. You can insert Jorge Soler and Jock Peterson and go win the world series. If you're Atlanta Braves, that's just not like that in football. I agree. Yeah. You make a good point. So going into this weekend though, I'm very excited. Um, there's a lot of good football. There's a lot oh, yeah. of good football. And oh, it's yeah. one of the best college slates since week one. And college football does this on purpose. They like all intriguing matchups. They put some early. And the NFL does this too, where all the good teams play each other early, create some intrigue. And then in college, they all play their wackadoo portion of the schedule from weeks like three to eight, where it's like all the nobodies that the top teams are going to kill. But now they're starting to play each other a little bit. And you're getting into these conference schedules. And you got oh, – yeah. You got great um, matchups coming up this weekend. And then you look to the NFL and it's like, okay, well, it's week nine now. If I can ever find the week nine slate. Okay, here we like the Eagles play the Texans tomorrow. That's kind of a stinky game. There's not really a good slate of games this week. Well, I like Colts versus Patriots because of the rivalry. Um I think this is the most important game of the Green Bay Packers season playing against the Lions. If they lose to the Detroit Lions, <laughs> and don't tell me it's not impossible. You it's play possible, survival pool. You how, play survival pool. But you play guillotine. Yeah, you I know, know but, it's not impossible. No, it's possible. But I mean, without Hawkinson though, it makes it tough. It makes it tough. Okay, what about Falcons versus Chargers? All of a sudden the Falcons are this resurgent team that might make the playoffs in the NFC. Listen, I also think the Seahawks are pretty good against the Cardinals. It, the Seahawks are like the West Coast version of the Falcons. They're like, holy crap, why are these bird teams all of a sudden so good, even though we thought they were going to be bad? The the Eagles or the Seahawks, man, I think they're they're not to be messed around with and taken no. lightly. I completely agree. Um, an intriguing matchup for me. I think the Bengals are going to kill the Panthers. I think the Vikings will beat the Commanders. Your Bills might be in trouble. I don't think they're going to lose. They're not going to lose. They're playing the Jets. They're not going to lose. Uh, these division games are harder than you think. Fifteen and two VP. I stick by it. All right. I, before the I'm season, I'm not started. saying they'll lose. It's a tough game. They will. It have is a, a tough, tough game. They will not kill the Jets. I don't think they will. They might even lose. Um, I'd be shocked. I I would be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked. Rams Buccaneers, going into the year, that's like I mean that's the NFC Championship from last year rematch. Yeah, they, I they mean, both are kind of lethargic yeah. right now. Like you're like eh. Yeah. You know, it could be a great game. Yeah. My favorite game to to this point this season still involves the Buccaneers. I have yet to be more entertained by a football game than I was that game between the New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think it was week three or week two. Something like that, yeah. I, I, was, I have yet, like I, yeah, exactly. I have yet to be – oh, there's one game that comes right next to Chiefs it. If Bills? Not, Chiefs, Bills, yes. Um, the Titans play the Chiefs. Not an easy game for the Chiefs. On that, that's a good game. The Titans aren't Titans, but they're good. They're good. They, they better hope um, Tannehill's back. Yes. If no Tannehill, then they have no shot. The Chiefs Monday will night... gobble up the backup. Yep. And Monday Night Football, Ravens, Saints. I think the Ravens should be able to go into New Orleans and beat the Saints. I mean, I'll watch it. I don't know. Saints but... have been eh, okay. Saints are okay. A little okay. overrated. A little yeah, overrated. I agree. Um, but – that Ravens team, they have an elite quarterback. Yep. They have a great defense. Got good players. They added uh 
what was it? Which one from the Bears? I get a Roquan MVP. Smith. Roquan Smith from the Bears. Yep. And that'll help out their linebacking core. So we'll see what happens there. I'm excited for this week, though. College football, NFL. Absolutely. And also in sports, we have the World Series. And yesterday, the Philadelphia Phillies, there was a little bit of Halloween rain in the city of brotherly love. So they pushed back the game three to yesterday. Now game four is today. The Phillies lead the series two to one after a big seven, nothing victory over the Houston Astros. You kind of changing your tune a little bit, or you still think the Astros are able to pull this off? I wouldn't be surprised if the Astros here come and pull it off. I mean, I hope the Phillies win game four and five by a combined score of 50 to nothing. I think that'd be fantastic if the Astros didn't score a run this postseason. But um, the Phillies have looked good, and it's all coming from the long ball. They hit five home runs in their 7-0 victory in Game 3. Bryce Harper to the moon. Did you hear, like, there was, like, it was, the the city of Philadelphia was actually shaking. Did you see that? They mm-hmm. showed a seismic chart from, like, yeah. wherever. Like, that that's insane, which could help the Phillies overcome the Astros with this crowd in the World Series, and the fans are really getting into it, and Harper's performing like Harper. And by this time next week, we will have a, we will talk about the World Series champ. Yep. Even if it goes seven, right? Yeah. Yep. Game seven would be Sunday. Yep. So there you go. It should be interesting. I hope the Phillies win the World Series two games away. But, you know, it's just I've seen this Astros team a lot this year, and it's you can never count out this team. Don't I take your foot off the gas. I completely agree. They need Bryce Harper to keep doing what he's doing. Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins, JT Real Muto, all big home runs over the series. Um, I still think the Astros have a chance to come back and take this thing, but we'll see what happens. You can tune in tomorrow to Crosstown Crosstalk to either recap what is a 3-1 Phillies series lead or a 2-2 series tie. That will depend on how tonight's game goes, but I'm excited to share my thoughts on the World Series with everyone tomorrow on Crosstown Crosstalk at 2 p.m. Central. Frank, what else are you watching this weekend? Sports, non-sports, lay it all out there. Well, now that I know that that Tennessee-Georgia game is Saturday, that is something I cannot wait to watch. Which I think we ought to point out that we'll be watching that together. I forget the name of the place now, though, if you want to look it up. Kings in Rosemont. If you're a fan of the Barroom Network, come to Kings at Rosemont at 2 p.m. on Saturday. You just got to go. If you're Skox, if you're Skyler. Come on, Skox. I want to meet you. Show up. You, you got to go to Kings. This is for fans of the Barroom Network to come and hang out with us. I believe Mike North will be there. I believe there will be all sorts of different bar stool or bar fly personalities. I'm, I said it wrong twice in a row. Barroom personalities. Bar there. Flies is the be there. Bar fly is fans of the Barroom Network. Yeah. And, you know, all bar flies are encouraged to show up at 2 p.m., and it's going to be very exciting. So Skylar says he's there. Katie says she's there. That's exciting news. I can't wait to see you guys there. The Bar Room Network people get to go at noon because we're sick. And then the bar flies show up at 2 p.m. <laughs> we are excited to hang out with you guys. I want to see as many of you there as possible. It'll be fun. PM, Tennessee plays Georgia. That I'm Is sure that a we'll game? the TVs. It's at 2.30. So it's, you know, a half hour into yeah. this little pin dig. And that's going to be exciting. It's fun. I don't know if it's two to it's two to whatever the um what's it called the oh, the game Scott, will go come past. on your skokes get your head out of your ass and show up 
Yeah, even if it's just for an come hour, on. folks. Come on, bring your boys and pizza. No excuses. Just kidding, you don't have to bring me anything. But yeah, I'm excited to see whoever it is that shows up. Um, it's going to be very, very fun. So that is why, why I interrupted you talking about Georgia versus Tennessee, because we will be watching it with the Barflies at Kings and Rosemont. But other than that, I mean, the stuff I'm watching is basically the same every week. Nothing new. I watched the Ant-Man trailer an unhealthy amount of times, more than I probably should have. I probably have seen it 40 times at least because I've, I've been so pumped for this movie. Um, I've done so much research too. It's, it's actually insane. All right, Katie Skokes. I know maybe if I meet him, then we won't have this problem. So if he shows up on Saturday, I've met Skokes not to brag. Exactly. Yeah. So. I mean, I'm in the same boat. I'll be watching Survivor, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, uh, sports on sports on sports on sports. The Devils are the best team in the Eastern Conference. Um, I love watching that. The World Series, of course, game four tonight. Very excited for it. Tonight's a light sports night. I'm kind of excited to just put all of my sports focus on the World Series tonight. There are two hockey games. I'm excited to see what the Leafs are able to do tonight. You know, it's been a rough go for them so far. The fans are just absolutely off the hook right now with the Leafs. I was watching some sports net in Canada last night while I was working, and holy crap, these guys are off the hook when it comes to covering the Leafs. They're like <laughs> times 10. I mean, it's unbelievable. So I will have a half an eye peeled on what's going on in the hockey world tonight, but for the most part, I will be locked in on the World Series from a sports point of view. So, Frank, I think with all of that said in mind, we have to decide how we're going to help people make some money in this week's edition of America's favorite podcast segment of the week, Breaking Bets. Where's my money, bitch? Make me some money. No. Bitch. So I actually, I didn't have anything written down for Saturday for the Tennessee game, but I just want to say, just take Tennessee in the points. I think it's smart. I don't know what the line is. If it's 11, I don't know what the, the whatever it is, but that's just like my Saturday. Come hang out at Kings. Have fun. We'll talk about the game. Pick. So there you go. But as far as tonight goes, th there's two hockey games, Flyers at the Maple Leafs. Listen, I assume Carter Hart's starting in net. I don't know for sure. I would be shocked if he didn't. Carter Hart has been fantastic this season. Maple Leafs are on a four-game losing streak. They lost to teams like Anaheim and uh, San Jose on that losing streak. They'll probably win this game, right? I'm not going to over-exaggerate and say the Flyers are going to come in and blow them out. But interestingly enough, if you want to take the Flyers plus two and a half goals, it's only minus 152. And the Leafs have struggled to score goals this season. Carter Hart has been fantastic as a goaltender. So the two and a half doesn't look bad at minus 152. I like it. I like it. What will end up happening is the Leafs will probably end up winning by five because that's just how it works. But I think the two and a half goals are some value there. Also on that game, if you want to take the under six and a half, like I said, Leafs have been struggling to score goals. Normally you'd think this type of game would go under. I do like the under in that game, under six and a half at minus 121. I think that's very reasonable. Um, 
on the flip side, the other hockey game, Pittsburgh's at uh, Buffalo. Buffalo's been really good. Pittsburgh's been in a slump. They had that heartbreaker last night, 5-2. to two. Then you got to come back and play the Buffalo Sabres, who have been hot. I'm shocked that the Buffalo Sabres are dogs at home, the way the Buffalo's been playing and the way Pittsburgh's been letting in goals. I do think Buffalo could win this game. So take the Buffalo Sabres money line at plus 102. I think there's some real good value. Listen, if Pittsburgh was performing a little bit better, there might be some value with them being such a low favorite. But Buffalo at home, the way they've been playing, as plus money, I think it's almost like you got to take it in this situation, just the way they've been playing so far. So I like that too. Buffalo Sabres money line, plus 102. And then my pick for basketball, I want to throw in an NBA pick before we head out of here. The Hornets are playing the Chicago Bulls. Chicago Bulls played yesterday. Nice, juicy win over the Brooklyn Nets. Didn't think Most people didn't think they were going to win yesterday. Um, they pulled it out. They came back late in the fourth quarter. Got it done. Ended up winning by a healthy margin. But tonight, I always trust the dreaded back-to-back. The Hornets have a very talented team. They are going to be without Rozier and uh, Lonzo Ball. Or not Lonzo Ball. LaMelo Ball. Which hurts, but they have shown that they've gotten wins over the Knicks. They've played. They gotten wins over the um, the Golden State Warriors. They've lost some close games. I like this spot to take the Hornets plus five. You're getting five points against the Bulls, who played last night. It's very hard to play back to back games in the NBA. Don't know why that is. I know Zach Levine isn't 100% healthy. He is day to day. So even if he plays, he might not be at his 100%. I like the spot for the Hornets plus five at minus one twelve. I hope you win every bet. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I hope everybody else wins who takes it too. What if they fade you and win? Good for them. Smart move. All right, Frankie Mueller. He he spits the truth. So, ain't, nothing, ain't nothing you said that was wrong. Ain't nothing we'll see. you said that was wrong. We'll see. Hawks gonna win every game this weekend? Um, no. Every game? Yeah. Well, how many times do they play? I don't know. Probably like three. I know that their next game, I think, is tomorrow against the Kings. Yeah, so it's tomorrow against the Kings. But I don't know. I haven't looked further than that. Let's see. Oh, then November. Oh, that's right. They do play the fifth, and then they got a five day off. They're home against the Kings. I mean, they could win that game. I mean, the Kings, they're, they're beatable, especially the Hawks are home. Then they go to Winnipeg, sun, November 5th. Is that Sunday? That's Saturday. 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 They play Saturday. Or party no. on the 5th. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's Saturday. In Winnipeg, that's going to be a toughie. And then uh, a week from tomorrow, they go to Los Angeles. But I think, though, they, they could get a win against the Kings. I think yeah. they could go. The one in Winnipeg, I don't know about that. It's going to be a lot tougher. Yeah, I think the Kings are better than Winnipeg. But I think it's a bit easier game for the Hawks. Yeah. But it's interesting. It feels like they've played every game at home since their first game of the season. Like, this team just doesn't go on the road. <laughs> they just play every game. The Hawks only wear their red sweaters at home. No no road games for them. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they play this weekend. I'm excited for the New Jersey Devils to round out the Western Canadian road trip. Obviously, the first leg of it was the weakest of the three teams. Now they got those Edmonton Oilers, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. That game promises to be a barn burner. Uh I think I'm taking the over. 
And I'm very excited about it, to be honest with you. It should be a lot of fun. The What, the Leafs? No, tomorrow's game between the Devils and the Oilers. Oh. I'm taking yeah, the Oilers. I like that'll the probably Oilers. be six and a half. Yeah. Most which likely. Is low, which is low. Well, that's like the standard high expectation game when you could expect high amount of goals. It's usually six and a half. Yeah. Very, 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 very rare. It's seven. I've only seen it like three or four times ever. Yeah. Do you think there's a chance? No, not for tomorrow's game. Interesting. All right. Well, that's our show. I hope everybody enjoyed it, and I hope everybody in the chat is at least planning on trying to make it. uh, Kings and Rosemont, come say hi to Frankie and I at the place. There will be a bar with cash food, uh, drinks, there's obviously entertainment around. I think it's like, I think a there's like bowling or something. Or, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be very fun. And I'm very much looking forward to it and seeing all the barroom hosts and our fans. And tomorrow you could tune into Crosstown Crosstalk at 2 p.m. where we will go over the World Series and the fact that the Chicago White Sox hired a brand new manager. Very excited to go over that in detail. And I hope everybody has a great rest of your day. Make sure you read all of Frankie Mueller's stuff on at trigger.com make sure you follow him on twitter at the king bean and make sure you read all of my stuff at the windy city pucks and pitchforks puck pros and south side showdown the new look south side showdown if you haven't gotten a chance to look it is pretty frank it looks good this new stuff it's very hard to write an article i'm excited definitely something to get used to when you're because the way i've been writing articles for the last four years looks entirely different and it's very, very different feeling and looking. It's kind of hard, but you know, we'll get used to it eventually, just like we did the last one. And I'm excited about it. So I leave everybody wishing them well. Follow me on Twitter at Vinny Parisi. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>